Cheers, y'all. Well, 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 well. That sounds like a party right Welcome, there. ladies and gentlemen, to this fine radio program, podcast, and video extravaganza known internationally Hi, as Mom. the world famous Smoking and Toasting. We're all about crap beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. And welcome, my friends, to show number 278, officially now. Uh, slightly over halfway to, to 300. 300 yeah, yes. we're getting there. We are definitely getting there. Putting together plans actually for the uh, 300th episode. So I'm thinking we're just going to do the 200th slash 300th episode. That makes it the 500th episode. Well, and then we're halfway to 500. So, uh, <laughs> but, but we didn't get to really do, I mean, we did an episode number 200, but we didn't get to do the extravaganza True. that we wanted True. because it was right in the middle of lockdown that it hit. And uh, back on the 100th show, of course, we invited everyone who had ever been a guest on the show at any time to join us. That and was course, ridiculous. Not everybody made it, but a whole bunch of people did. They all brought bottles and cans and cigars, and we had uh, we had quite a time. So we were thinking, well, 200 would be a bigger deal, and then we didn't really get to do it. So this will be once we get there, uh, and I think it happens in September. I was looking at the calendar. In September, we will have our 200th slash 300th episode. Well, at least it'd be nice and warm outside. Yeah. Oh, it'll be it'll be it'll be perfect. Actually, we you know we do the show in Houston, Texas. September's one of the greatest months of the year weather-wise, so it's awesome. So uh, anyway, welcome to number two hundred seventy-eight. Today we will be talking about how it is always time for Guinness, and we'll be talking about eight extraordinary cigars. And we want to welcome our very special guest, Mr. David Schroeder, who is with Guinness. David, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to. Be in sunny Houston. I got off the plane about two hours ago, and uh, it's just really nice weather today. So yeah, I'm stoked it, to have these beers. Yeah, it really, it really is. We, this is, we say this a lot on the show, but this is the time of year that people visit Houston and they go, "Oh, honey, it's so much nicer here than it is up in Buffalo. Let's move here." And so then they move here by about say May. And two months later, they're in hell. They're just yeah. walking around with a WTF <laughs> bubble above their head. That's exactly sweating. right. That's exactly right. So, uh, so anyway, but you, you've uh, lived in Texas before, so you know a little bit about that, right? Yes. About three and a half years ago, I moved from Houston to Denver. I was mm-hmm. in Houston for a while. Was Before that, I was in Austin. So... It, it feels like, I know it's cliche to say, but it feels like home every time I come here because I have so many friends and and people that, that live down here. And, and Houston particularly, the food is always so oh, awesome every time I come here. have to love the cuisine here of any kind. Anything whether, you want. Whether you, you want get. Viet Cajun crawfish or, or you know, just <laughs> like the greatest Tex-Mex ever, you can get it all here. So yeah, it's, it's awesome here. It's absolutely wonderful. Well, thank you for coming in. We, of course, uh, inquired about having uh, Mr. Schroeder come in and do our show on St. Patrick's Day, and he was very kind. He didn't laugh too hard. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the uh, Guinness, of course, keeps... Very, very busy on St. Patrick's Day. I know this from having spent a number of years in radio and doing all these crazy uh, promotions. But I always thought Guinness was absolutely brilliant. I'm going to assume St. Patrick's Day is your biggest single sales day of the year, right? It is, but yeah. probably, probably by a, a pretty wide margin. We, yeah, we sell about fifteen uh, percent of our of our yearly sales in the month of March. And if you think about that, it's really the first 17 days. Makes sense, yeah. Makes and sense. You, you're exactly right. Like, I get crazy requests all over. I, I'm based in Denver, but I cover 
Texas, cover all the way out into California and up to Washington and Alaska. So it's just it runs the gamut of requests. People suddenly were on everybody's mind. Right. You know? Exactly. Everybody's like, hey, St. Patrick's Day, Guinness. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I it's we sell about you know, 85% of our total global volume in the continent of Africa with one of the beers we're going to try here today. So it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be a cold weather beer, but I do like to think about it in, you know, say my, my January, February, March is so busy mm -hmm. that I would love to come back around September <laughs> right. and and be talking about Guinness and stout season right when you get that little chill in there, not here necessarily. But. Well, and a number of years back, or it may have even predated that. I became aware of it a number of years back, again, doing radio promotions with Guinness. Uh, and <laughs> these guys are brilliant. They dreamed up a non-existent holiday. I love it. Called Halfway to St. Patrick's Day. That's <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And it's awesome. Everybody goes woohoo and drinks uh, Guinness and, and Irish whiskey. And it's, it's, it's like, I'm like, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. We have a, a rep here that works for us, one of my favorite people that I've, I work with named Macy. And she... Uh, and she does it not just on September 17th. She does it on every 17th of the month. She calls uh -huh. it Saint Practice Day. Saint Practice but Day. September, Saint Practice Day. I love it. There is in the month of September, particularly in one week in September, there's a whole slew. I mean, we're a 270-year-old brewery. You know? right, so right. there's going to be dates that come come and kind of cluster together. But there is a weird set, uh, week in, in, uh, in September where... All, all these crazy things happen. Like there's, there's halfway to St. Patrick's Day, which is obviously, like you said, it's kind of marketing we kind of made up. But also, uh, Arthur Guinness is the founder's birthday is mm -hmm. right, right around mm -hmm. that that same time, <laughs> uh, September 21st or 22nd. It's not exactly clear which day. Uh, first Guinness draft ever poured in the United States was poured at famous bar department store in St. Louis, Missouri, a place wow. I used to live, um, and it. And there's 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 one other one I can't remember what it is, but uh, it, it's amazing how it all just kind of comes in that one week in September. For me personally, like I said, not only because I'm busy in January, February, particularly first month of March, I just like stout season to to think of stout season in terms of like when it first gets chilly outside. That's mm -hmm. when you start thinking dark. Start thinking beer. heavier, darker beers. Sure. I, what what is wrong with you people? <laughs> this is <laughs> I love. I, I knew you were going to jump in Stouts and here. porters. <laughs> Year all year round. long. Yes. I go float the river and I drink stouts and porters. I have no problems with this. I well, don't see what the people, problem is. Yeah. A lot of people do have a misconception about, you know, Guinness is not a heavy filling stout. It's a very easy drinking stout. And it's uh, it's it's one thing, you know, a lot of people see the color of the beer and they think, oh, I, you know, I don't, I'm afraid of dark beers. Well, you don't have to be afraid of Guinness, that's for sure. Because <laughs> no. it is very, very easy to drink. I... I as you could probably tell by our halfway to 300 things, uh, we play a little fast and loose with math here on Smoking and Toasting. So I thought we'd just declare today one one hundredth of the way to St. Patrick's Day, and we would celebrate appropriately uh, with gifts. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> very, very nice. Also, I have to thank you uh, as, as on behalf of your company for bringing some, because I, I also lived in St. Louis for several years. Oh, cool. For bringing some beer history 
to St. Louis that does not involve the words Anheuser or Bush. And that's, that's a really, really nice thing that you did. And, you know, today St. Louis is, is home to a number of really great, very respectable craft breweries yeah. as well. But, Urban uh, Chestnut. But, yes, I remember, uh, I remember back in the day when I lived there, it was all about those Clydesdales, man. That was, that was, it was all Anheuser-Busch all the time. If you went into a bar there and had the audacity to order a Miller, you could actually get thrown out of the bar. I'm not kidding. It's kind of like the the soup Nazi on Seinfeld. No beer for you. So I I could go. My my whole family's from Missouri, mm-hmm. and so I have and I love history. I love beer too. So beer history mm-hmm. makes makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh, but yeah, I mean I could go off forever about about beer history in St. Louis. One of the my favorite. You know, you go there, and it's one of these old brick cities. It's kind of like mm-hmm. Chicago or Detroit, and you've got a lot of exposed red brick and all the architecture there. Right across from Anheuser-Busch is an old brewery that before Prohibition was bigger than Anheuser-Busch. Mm-hmm. It's called the Lemp Brewery. The Lemp Brewery. I've yeah. been there. And it's it's like you're walking in ancient ruins because there's like 27 buildings there and ones where you can see where they used to brew. Yeah. And uh, it's literally, you look over the highway, and that's where Anheuser-Busch is. Right. So, yeah, I actually ran a beer program in St. Louis at a restaurant once, and I don't know if many people know the story about where Budweiser got their name from, but there was a city in Czech Republic called uh, Budjevice. And when you say that in German, the German... Germanization of that word, it's Budweiser. So wow. it was a town in Czech Republic. Here in the United States, they're not allowed, the, the beer from that, that city is not allowed to call themselves Budweiser because <laughs> they lost to Budweiser. Of course. Doesn't but they everybody? predate uh, Budweiser. And mm-hmm. over there, if you go over there and buy a Budweiser, it's a totally different beer. They can sell it there in their own country. And, yeah. and Budweiser can't. They have to call right. it something else over there. <laughs> That's great. And so, it, and it's an amazing, it's a really good Czech Pilsner. Like, it, and so I would, in St. Louis, I put it on draft. It's the first person in the state to put that on draft. That's brilliant. And I would sell it as Budweiser. So if people came in and ordered a Budweiser, it'd be the best tasting Budweiser they ever had. <laughs> I love that. See, this is this is the kind of beer history that that is so fascinating and interesting to uh, to hear about. I've been to the Limp Brewery actually, and to the Limp Mansion, which is yep. uh, now turned into uh, uh, a B&B. bed and breakfast and a and a restaurant. And the food's pretty good too. It's supposed to, supposed to be haunted. They'll tell you great stories about it being haunted. It's a little there. spooky in there. Yeah, yeah it is kind of. Spooky. I've never been there. Me and my wife have been talking about taking a vacation to the <clears> Open Greek. Open Gate Brewery, though, for a weekend. Yeah, that, that, like that could be fun. That could be fun. So I well, don't want, yeah, I don't want to blame a, a major possible <laughs> advertiser. <laughs> Someday. Oh, if, if you're talking about Anheuser Busch, trust no, me. No, not. If they've, uh, if they've ever listened to the program, they will not be advertising. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I no, no, no. But we, we, I did have a case here that was supposed to have some beer from the Open Gate Brewery, and I'm bummed that it didn't get here oh. in time. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, Open Gate Brewery, for anybody who doesn't know, is a brewery that we built three or four years ago uh, in, in Baltimore, in Baltimore yep. Maryland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a facility there that used to be – it's actually the, f- the first distillery that opened back up after Prohibition. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had that facility. It was aging uh, liquor. So Captain Morgan, for instance, owned by Diageo, which also owns Guinness, uh, they would age – barrels of captain morgan there we had the facility 
And rather than doing a new build, we've kind of found all these connections to the city of Baltimore and reasons why it was really ripe for a Guinness presence. So we opened that brewery and the brewing team that they recruited there is like, that's the coolest part of it. And some of the stuff coming out of there, like every time I see a, a new Guinness thing, I try it and haven't been disappointed at all. Yeah, yeah. They do a really good job out there. Yeah. I mean, the brewers it deserve all the credit. There's a there's a guy named Peter Weens who formerly used to live in St. Louis out of a, a Anheuser-Busch, but also Stone, uh, Sean Brennan uh, that was formerly of Jolly Pumpkin. Mm-hmm. So there's this cool kind of connection where for s- generations we shipped our beer all around the world in wooden barrels. Obviously for utility, not mm-hmm. for flavor. And then now, you know, metal came about, and that was more stable and better for the product at that time. And now we're putting things in barrels for the flavor. On purpose, right. On right. purpose, exactly. yeah. So well, that's what a lot of the stuff we're doing out there is, is And again, for. we want to thank you for basically rescuing a city when it comes to beer, because I have also, I've lived everywhere. I've also lived in Maryland. And thank God there's something being brewed there besides Natty Bo. Because that is some nasty, nasty stuff. They have a great logo. And I love the sign when you're driving into Baltimore. It's a big lighted neon sign with the guy's winking eye. But, uh, but oh, the beer. Oh, oh. It's, let's, let's put it this way, Ian. It makes Montucky cold snack seem kind of appetizing. That's how bad Natty Bo is. So. But, you know, they're proud of it there. Oh, they they're are. so it's, proud it's, of it. It's like a city pride thing. So yeah. I'm glad yeah. you're giving them something else to be proud of that comes out of Baltimore. <laughs> Listen, Baltimore has a they got a tough time as a city. You know, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that goes on there that it's difficult for the people who live there to be proud of, but they can be, you know, proud of the Ravens and they can be proud of the Orioles and they can be and they're already proud of Natty Bo. Now you've given them some good beer to be proud of. So that's I uh, mean, and talk about another good food city. We talked about Houston, St. Louis is an awesome food city for, yes. for its size. It doesn't make any sense why it has such good food there. And Baltimore is another one of those too. Yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely is. The Baltimore uh, food scene is not bad at all. Yeah, and they have like, and they really, <clears throat> and like, like the Natty Bow thing, like they're they're prideful of it. They're really oh, like, totally. it's they really, own it. They but own also it. their food, and also kind of like we do here with Lone Star. Yes, it's kind yeah, of the yeah, same yeah. the same way. You know. Yep. So it's weird how that happens. It's at least drinkable. Absolutely, I'll I'll have if it's if it's cold. Cold, cold Lone Star I'll take is all right. Lone Star. I'm pretty sure absolutely. Natty Bow and and Lone Star are the same the same company. It's all Paps. Oh, is it really? I'm I I don't know if I even knew that. So. Sure. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they got the the grip on hipster beers all across the country. I guess they do. <laughs> and they didn't have to even really brew great beer to no. do it. So it's <laughs> so it's a pretty it's a pretty good deal on their part. Uh, well, it's been an interesting week for me, Ian. I've been pretty busy. Um, I'm going to assume that you have as well, because you and I like we're missing each other on text and phone calls this week. But uh, but I can only assume that you had the opportunity to smoke something interesting. Well, I did. I sat out on my patio this morning and pulled a cigar out of my humidor, and lo and behold, I have a review for you. Oh, awesome. So I pulled out a HVC Pen Caliente. Uh, that's easy for you to say. So they, so I, I, I reviewed one of the HVC cigars actually a few months back. It was mm-hmm. called the uh, Hot Cakes, mm-hmm. and Pen Caliente is basically the same thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Except for it's a different... Um, it's a different uh, blend. So this is the uh, Robusto 5x50 uh, uh, that I smoked. It has a uh, Nicaraguan uh, Criollo wrapper. It's actually a Nicaraguan Puro, but it has the Criollo wrapper on it. It's really nice. Uh, the appearance on this cigar, 
did I send you pictures? I did, didn't I? Good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, the appearance on this kind of cinnamon brown in color, uh, leathery and veiny uh, wrapper on it, firm with some soft spots overall, uh, and with a single uh, HVC band it says Pan Caliente. That was not not the most interesting uh, cigar to look at, but nice. Um, the pre-light sniff on this pleasant, earthy kind of smells, wood, fresh cut hay, nutty smells, some spice. The pre-light draw, I used a clip on this. It had kind of a tight draw to it. I got some fresh cut hay, rich earth, slight chocolatey and spicy notes in it. When I lit it up, it was a coffee bomb. Ooh, nice. Not a Nicaraguan pepper blast, but a coffee bomb right off the front. Uh, woody fermented hay chocolate and cinnamon right off the top. White pepper in the background. Retro Hill was peppery and leathery with some wood notes backing that up. The first third of this, uh, nutty and woody. Uh, the draw opened up a bit by this time, uh, and, and it was, was quite smokable. The pepper becomes a little more present. Underlying chocolate sweetness and cinnamon lend this kind of a holiday spice vibe to mm. it. It was kind of interesting. Interesting, yeah. Um, Big fluffy smoke, retrohale is chocolate and pepper, uh, uh, flaky ash, perfect burn. As the first picture I, uh, he uh, probably put up there has the ash sitting right next to it that fell right as I was took, taking the picture. <laughs> Tooking? Taking the picture? That's easy for me to say. The second third of this, uh, pepper remains consistent. Coffee trades off with wood and leather as the underlying uh, chocolate and cinnamon support the flavor profile. The nutty notes weave in and out, along with a ghosty mintiness. Hmm. Just kind of appeared here and there and went boo. Mintiness. Yeah, it just it wasn't there the whole time. It just every once in a while I was like, oh, here's a little bit of mint. You're a very poetic man. There's a little bit of mint over there. So it's a ghostly mintiness that appears and disappears on some unfathomable schedule. Uh, retro, see, I, I went even further with that. You did. You did. I'm very <laughs> impressed. I'm telling you. Uh, retro hills, wood and uh, leather with a kiss of cinnamon, flaky ash, good burn. Um, it got a little bit crooked on the second third of it, but not enough to attend it or even like think twice about mm -hmm. it. Just not razor straight like the first third was. The last third is baking spices, wood, and nutty flavors of the theme here. Medium strength overall, leathery, earthy chocolate, and ghostly mint still intertwined regularly. I suspect this will go well with whiskey. I was thinking something like wild turkey, probably something a little sweet. Mm -hmm. Um, the retro is woody, nutty, uh, chocolate and cinnamon, flaky ash, perfect burn for the last third. This cigar is six dollars ish, six mm -hmm. six fifty. I can't remember exactly what it was, uh, and I was running out the door by the time I got to the end of this. So uh, I'm going to give it a five and a half. Okay. It's pretty good. It's yeah. right up there with with anything you pay six to eight dollars with, and I wouldn't have any trouble paying anywhere in there for it. David, on our uh, on our sort of sliding scale, well, it's not really a sliding scale, but on our one to ten scale uh, that we call price to quality when we talk about cigars. Basically, if we rate something a five, it means you get exactly what you paid for. Gotcha. So if something's 5.5, it means, yeah, you know what? I felt like it was worth even a little bit more than, mm -hmm. than the asking price. And, of course, that means that the more expensive the cigar, the harder it is to get above a five. Wow, Because you, awesome. you might be smoking a $15 cigar, and you go, well, that was good, and it might have been worth 15 but I... Sure, don't want to pay twenty. You know, sure wouldn't want to pay twenty. Yeah, well, a fifteen dollars you know? cigar should be fabulous. Yeah, it really yeah. should. <laughs> it should right. be so a five would be a, would be a great rating. Um, and then, of course, there was the time when Ian uh, reviewed a uh, black and mild, and it got. I think what what did you give it a nine? a nine? He gave it a nine simply because the enjoyment he got out of it. Based on the price being ninety nine cents, less, less like eighty seven cents or something cents. like that. <laughs> so it's like okay, well, uh, well, that would be a place where it's punching above its weight class a little bit. I gotta so. say that is like 
probably one of the best rating systems I've ever heard of. Yeah, uh, <laughs> brilliant. Because, well, we like to, we like to let people know when they come on because if if we say a, a five, you may say, well, is that? Yeah, a, I was thinking, what's that, that out of good, seven? Or? Is that is that a good rating? So, uh, I had a uh, a cigar that I haven't had one of in quite some time uh, this week. I smoked a Rocky Patel Sun Grown Robusto. Oh, I now, like the Rocky Patel Sun Grown. Now the Sun Grown Maduro is is the one that gets a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. It has had really stellar ratings in the cigar magazines and stuff. But it was preceded by the Rocky Patel Sun Grown, just the natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to being one of the uh, more prominent Crusaders for the cigar industry. Rocky Patel's got a line of cigars that has grown really large over the years. So there's a number of different options for you to choose from when it's time to smoke a Rocky. And with all the recent and new releases that he's put out, it can be easy to lose sight of some of the other fabulous blends that are so in the, the older portfolio. blends that have been yeah, more yeah. standard. Yeah. Uh, so ergo, the Rocky Patel Sun Grown. And I've Congratulating myself because I was wondering if I could work the word ergo into the show <laughs> this week. <laughs> Nicely done. And I've done it. Uh, the Sun Grown Robusto features a nice, uh, mostly smooth wrapper and a double red band. Its filler tobacco is aged for seven years. It's a blend of Nicaraguan, Brazilian, and Dominican tobacco. They use a Nicaraguan binder and it's all wrapped in a five year aged Ecuadorian sun grown Sumatra. Wrapper. This is the natural sun grown again from Rocky, not the uh, sun grown Maduro. There were nutty notes and plenty of earth on the pre light, and I used a punch and then I brought fire into the equation. Uh, the first puffs brought a kind of a variant on the Nicaraguan pepper blast. And since it was a variant, I won't thrill you with my bad Barry Gibb impression and sing the Nicaraguan pepper blast jingle. That I'm going to continue to sing until you write one, and and we actually have. April's been a busy month. Yeah, I can tell. But uh, but since it was a variant, I'll give you a break this week. My very good impression is not good. Um, anyway, uh, the uh, the Nicaraguan pepper blast. It was there, but it was it was a kind of a sweetness that traveled along with the pepper that I thought uh, it made it really interesting, different from your standard NPB at the very least. Uh, The nutty note I had noticed on the pre-light was definitely a part of the initial flavor profile. Uh, Roasted peanuts was what it seemed like to me. Or maybe even like a really, really good peanut butter. You know when you buy the really good expensive peanut butter and it just smells like roasted peanuts? It was that kind of a vibe. Kind of where the oil kind of separates and you got to mix it in a little bit. Exactly. Uh, As it burned, I got a nice leather note, uh, a sort of an old aged leather, not like a car seat, but like maybe like an old leather strap or a saddle or something, uh, and a very nice profile of earthiness. The ash burned a little crooked, uh, which I think you can see in one of the pictures here, but uh, but the burn line itself was pretty even. It's just, you know how you've smoked about an inch and it's kind of at an angle from mm-hmm. the end of your cigar? It was one of those. Uh, and anyway, I flicked it off just to keep it from coming after me. Uh, the peanut note kind of morphed into wood. Uh, Sort of like charred oak as I got into the second third. Not campfire, just that sort of charred oak smell. Almost like you would, you, like an, an oak barrel that's been charred. More like a charred. cooking fire. Yes, or, yeah, yes yeah. absolutely. Uh, it was really, really pleasant. Pepper on the retrohale, still plenty of aged leather. The sun-grown wrapper seemed to provide a spiciness and a sweet undertone at the same time, which kind of helped the uh, cigar be really nicely balanced. The earthy note and the charred wood stayed all the way through the final third, but I also got a little bit of chocolate, too, that I noticed from about the halfway point on into the end. Construction was great. 
great. The cigar was nicely complex all the way through, and it was a, a real nice uh, change of pace for me. I really enjoyed it. Uh, you might be able to occasionally find it for less, but this Robusto is about an $8 cigar, and I would say it's worth every penny, uh, and maybe a tiny bit more. With all the newer stuff Rocky has out there, don't sleep on the sun-grown. It's definitely uh, worth your time. I would recommend it, and price to quality give it a solid five. So, uh, nice. so worth it. So. I just I just want to say, uh, you're so lucky to have missed the Barry Gibb impression. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, no. it's awkward. It's like watching me trying it's to fold awkward. a fitted sheet. It's terrible. It's, it's like, <laughs> like, what is going on here? <laughs> well, uh, again, it's not designed to be good. It's designed to encourage you to get us a really good jingle <laughs> written. I mean, let's be honest. When you went after the project of our theme song, which is just brilliantly, brilliantly done, um, and then you and then when you came up with the the drinking news theme song, I you mean, did torture me is, with the drinking news thing. Is, yeah, and this is good stuff. See, uh, I just I know you're an artist. I just have to push yeah. you a little, <laughs> like a good manager, you know. Noted. Okay, all right, very good. All right, we are going to take a break when we come. Oh, I see you've got something leather out there. What is it? I do. Uh, yeah. I well, since I'm it. I'm not a I'm not a cigar person, but I am a tobacco person. So this is oh. uh, my pipe setup. Oh. And I was going to show you guys. I actually have tobacco in here. You guys can smell. We will have to have you come back when we do the pipe show because we do a pipe you show do a pipe at least, show. At okay. least yeah. once a year. We do a pipe show, so you'll have to come uh, smoke pipe with us. But that uh, absolutely that I'm trying to see that smells like smell an it. English yeah. blend from here. Uh, yeah, these so are these are uh, this is uh, Burley Light No Bite. You smell it. I just love like hearing you guys talk about the flavors oh, that you that's guys so get great. and so how you great. analyze it is so cool because yeah, coming from a from a you beer love background. this tobacco blend. From a oh, beer yeah. background, it's it's ex- identical, right? There's mm-hmm. so many of the crossover flavors. Right. And you guys oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's absolutely. what my that's my jam and all of it. You know, even getting love, into and, tobacco. And at that all. leather pouch, you have to show that to the camera. Yeah, that, that is that case that is, is fantastic. This is, uh, this is a, a my my best buddy Brandon Kern. He's a master som here in Houston. He got me this for Christmas. This pipe is a Savinelli Italian pipe from ah, my mom from that's Christmas. Beautiful. So, uh, yeah, I just enjoy it, man. I like the flavors. I like the – it's kind of those flavors that you can smell in in, mm-hmm. in a red wine or, or in a, a really good beer. But you can actually it's, – it's so weird how our brains file that stuff, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. that catalog. When you're saying, oh, I smell this type of flavor – your brain is literally smelling that exact aroma compound. And I'll, I'll say this, too, because people ask, well, how do you get you know, that stuff? And it's like, well, I haven't always. I mean, when I first started smoking cigars, I liked the flavor, but I couldn't have couldn't told you. Couldn't parse it out right. like that, yeah. But uh, the way I always recommend to people, and you can do this with beer or you can do this with you know spirits or, or pipe tobacco, anything, is when you're partaking of some of that, Take a look at what others who do that have written about it. And if they say, or, or maybe even what Ian or I might say here on the show, if we say, hey, there was this charred oak uh, uh, sort of vibe to it, see if you can identify that. Yeah. Once you start like looking at it like that, you'll pretty soon begin to go, oh, yeah, I see what it means. It's earthy. I get that. Or, or yeah. whatever, the, whatever yeah, and, it may and be. And we always try to go with, with you know, flavors that you've probably 
recognize it makes sense. No one here is going, oh, it reminds me of the underside of a persimmon leaf growing on the south side of a mountain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Picked at 11.58. But I have seen <laughs> reviews yes. that are that absurd. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I totally have. So, so yeah, so we try to we try to stay with th- things like, you know, baking spice and, 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 well, things that we recognize. Again, I wouldn't recognize that persimmon leaf, so... That's just that's just me. When yeah. we analyze hops uh, in beer, there are words that you know a lot of these hop growers and companies are based out of Germany or England. Mm-hmm. And they have totally different fruits over there. Right. So that's a good they, point. So they will describe things, and and then very savvy Americans will listen to it and they will repeat it back because mm-hmm. it sounds cool. Well, it doesn't have any use if nobody knows what you're talking about. <laughs> we should totally, if we've never encountered it, it doesn't matter. We should matter. totally make something up that doesn't exist, <laughs> you know, and go, and I got a hint of uh, persanthemum. <laughs> persanthemum. <laughs> <laughs> and see if we could get it to catch on. I would, love, I would love to see that in like a cigar aficionado review at some point. Yeah. Hints of persanthemum. Love that. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back with our next segment, and that will be the segment where we start tasting us some Guinness. Plus, Ian has brought in today, and I know you think I'm about to say a whiskey, but no, it's a rum. It's a Macambo rum, and it is a gorgeous bottle, and we'll be tasting some of that as the program continues. Plus, eight extraordinary cigars you really should check out from a new article in Cigar Aficionado. We'll share that with you as well. They really need to work on those... uh... Those uh, uh, catchphrases should be like eight extraordinary cigars. <laughs> we tried eight extraordinary cigars you that you need to happened. smoke right, right now. Oh, yeah, it's got to be right now, or you won't believe what happens. <laughs> Welcome back. It's smoking and toasting. This program is all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. And we are uh, thrilled to be back with you for show number 278. And uh, our guest is David Troder from Guinness. Uh, Ian, you know, I'm I'm sure you've heard the phrase whiskey nose before, right? That's, you oh, know, yeah. When you see somebody that's got the... Uh, that's got the little capillary thing going on, and you can tell, yeah, that's a person who's probably enjoyed a lot of whiskey in his lifetime. Well, there's a new definition for whiskey nose, and it's a robot whiskey nose. We've mentioned this on the show before, that they've been in development for uh, an artificial nose that could help whiskey makers find uh, counterfeits. Oh, okay. Uh, to find counterfeit whiskey. And the electronic nose that's called N-O-S-E, nose, uh, has now gotten very, very close to 100% accuracy in recognizing whiskey brands. Ah. So if you're um, McCollin, it can tell that that's your whiskey. And if somebody else is trying to pass something off as McCollin, it can tell that it's not. Oh, wow. Uh, they say it's at about 95% accuracy right now, which is I mean, that's that's weirder than than self-driving cars. You know what I mean? Robotic noses. Did you see Did you see the video that was out this week? By the way, of the the cop that pulled over a self-driving car uh-uh. and he goes up to it and there's nobody in it. And it was like somebody shot the video on their phone from like you know uh, other side of the street. The cop goes up and he looks in the uh, looks in the car. There's nobody there. He starts walking back to his car. 
and the self-driving car just takes off. <laughs> it's, it's great. You, you just, just. Uh, what did uh, he pull the car over for? Uh, I, I don't. I don't know. It doesn't say. It didn't say that in the video that I watched. But if you uh, look it up on YouTube, just do oh police God. self-driving car. You'll you'll find it. It's uh, That's too it's funny. definitely where. It is the funniest moment when he's walking back to his car, and the self-driving car just. Boom, off it goes. Like this conversation is going to be hilarious in twenty years when we're like, remember when we had to drive cars? <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. Although you know, I still don't have my rocket pack. And when I was a kid, I was told by now we would all have rocket yeah, yeah. packs, and that's how we would be able to to travel around. I just want so. to know when the robot whiskey smelling robot is also going to be the one driving. Because <laughs> there's a, some crossover there. I don't know what it is, but that uh, seems like a good a good blend of uses for a robot. Then, yeah, right? or it, or it seems like a really interesting future sci-fi uh, movie plot. You know, Ex Maltina. The whiskey. I mean, if you have Maltina, a, I like it. <laughs> That's good. Oh boy, if you have a self-driving car, you could just like. Install the nose, right? Right. And the software. Well, I was, so you could sit in the back seat. I was wondering about this. Once self driving cars become the thing, like everybody's got them, right? Will that change drinking and driving laws? Like, will you be allowed to be driven by your car and have something to drink while you're in it? Or drinking will that, and riding. Or will that still be, right? Will that still be uh, taboo, you know? I don't know. Well, I mean, there's the open container thing, law, right? And all but that. but the basic reason for the open container law is so it, it helps if you get pulled over, it helps them establish if you've been drinking or not if the yeah. container's open. So or helps them establish the reason that they can demand that you take a breathalyzer or, or, or whatever it is because you've got an open container. Seriously, like if I've got if I've got a bottle of whiskey in the car but the cap is on it. Is that considered an open container if it's been opened before and some of the whiskey is gone? Or is that not an open container? I don't know. You haven't been drinking. It's just the robot's been smelling whiskey all day. That's exactly what it is. (laughs) (laughs) And that's his robotic nose giving off a a few of those. uh, Yeah, like, listen, there's some... some, uh, spirits that we've tried that are that smell so good, I would love to wear it as cologne. Oh, if it I know, a, yeah. If it wouldn't be a problem with the uh, with the traffic stop, so um, we are excited to have um, you here today um, because we're actually big, big fans of, of Guinness, and I have been ever since. I really kind of got introduced to it. Not in a traditional Irish sort of way. I got introduced to it back when I was doing radio. We were doing promotions with Guinness, and so it's always proper etiquette to if you're at a promotion to drink the beer that the promotion so i was so thrilled when it was you guys instead of bud light (laughs) (laughs) and uh uh, but that was when i I started to drink guinness often enough to develop a real appreciation for it and ian has an even better story because guinness has to do with how he met his wife really i was uh playing at a bar in baytown on saint patrick's day this would have been 2010 and um and apparently uh my wife who obviously wasn't my wife at the time uh had moved recently to Baytown, Texas and decided she was going to go out on St. Patrick's Day so she had her brother lined up to drop her off and pick her up wherever she wanted to go as he wasn't old enough to to and you know join her at a bar yet but uh she called around Baytown now Baytown's Kind of a blue collar, yeah, it's smaller work, town, class town, yeah. and there's not a lot of craft beer places in Baytown. As a matter of fact, there was one, mm-hmm. 
uh, and it was the uh, Dirty Bay Beer Company is what it was called. So I was playing there. She called around. It was the only place that said they had Guinness. <laughs> and it was St. Patrick's Day. So it was a popular place that night. Anyway, so she shows up uh, and sits at the end of the bar right next to his uh, wife. Eventually. She wasn't my wife at the time. Right. But yeah, wow. but yeah. Yeah. So that's <clears throat> that's how we all that's how we all met. So and yeah, and so she came out looking for a good pint of Guinness yep. for St. Patrick's Day. That's a good and, one. That's uh, a and, right and kind of <laughs> and, and and fell for the guitar player. That's pretty cool. You gotta that love it. Pretty awesome. You gotta love it. Well, uh, let's let's do some tasting here. What are we starting with? Well, today I'm going through all of our our core beers. So these okay. are beers that <clears throat> they kind of tell. Not only are they core to our business and. Uh, we sell a lot of them, and they're widely available uh, everywhere you look, really. Uh, but also, it's kind of a good. It's a kind of a good. It tells a story of our of the history of our brewery as well. Mm -hmm. So you might be familiar with in beer styles the idea of, you know, labeling a style of beer based on its strength. Mm -hmm. This was historically the best way to. Mm -hmm. The only way when you walk into a bar or a you know, a shack what's serving beer wherever you are in the world, the most important information is how strong is it? Right. Um, and so, you know, you see a lot in England, you'll see single or, or special bitter, extra special bitter. Uh, in Belgium, you'll see a single, a double, or triple. Mm -hmm. uh, so strength is, historically, that's how we really grade all of our beers. And Guinness is no exception to that as well. So we're really kind of tasting all different strengths of this beer categories that we've had since we opened probably in 1759 we've always had some different three different categories of like this is our single beer low in alcohol meant for you know basically a replacement a, a cleaner the thing than water to drink mm -hmm. uh and then something that's a little bit more fortified with hops and alcohol two major preservation agents we had before refrigeration uh that would go out to the countryside and then something that was even higher hopped and higher alcohol that would go even further than that. So really, we're tasting those three categories today. Awesome. And I'm not doing them in order because I just don't feel like it. Um, but <laughs> the this is the uh, extra stout. Um, so this is, this is really before I worked for Guinness. I was working at a brewery called Independence in Austin, Texas. I've been there. Okay, yeah, it's a great brewery. Mm -hmm. um, after I got off, I would, off work, I would, I would go and buy a six-pack of this beer. And it was so, um, we were brewing a lot of IPAs. It was when IPAs were blowing up. And it just had the bitterness and the intensity, but also some acidity into it. It was so much different than any other stout. Like you were saying earlier, mm -hmm. Cruz, it was, it's, you know, many people think dark beer, it's got to be heavy. It, it was so much different than any stout that we were making or any other brewery I'd tasted before. Um, and in fact, I even at that time called there was a 1-800 number on the back of the of the, the six pack and I called them and I that 1-800 number and I was like I want to know anything you can tell me about this beer and it was a lady at a call center they didn't have anybody like what my job is now um, but I was just so intrigued by the way it tasted and I know a lot more about it now and how it's made, but it still has that intrigue for me as well. This we're drinking out of. It's available most commonly. You'll see it in 22-ounce bottles or six-packs bottles. This is a 19.2-ounce can, uh, which is kind of fun. It's a cool package. And, and, uh, it's the Guinness Extra Stout. Guinness Extra Stout, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
compared to what everybody thinks of as Guinness, whenever you're thinking, when you're drinking on St. Patrick's Day, you're drinking, you know, something that comes out of the tap. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, inf- that's infused with nitrogen. We'll talk about that beer next. But this is higher alcohol than that at 5.6%. Higher hops at about 50 IBUs at a scale of 0 to 100. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got more bite than what people typically think of with Guinness. In right. fact, when people say that Guinness is a strong, heavy beer, I almost wonder if they're talking about if they accidentally got this from the store. Because the label's not <laughs> I, that different. Like, you would think that this is Guinness. But I think when people talk Thank about you. Guinness being a strong, heavy beer, and I run across this with people all the time, I'm like, how often do you drink it? Well, almost never. When they tell me it's a strong, heavy beer, I'm like, it's actually not. Mm-hmm. It's actually a pretty light-drinking stout when you compare it to everything else. And they talk about how strong it is. I'm like, it's below 5%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's actually... Uh, the same amount of alcohol as most of your macro brews that you're talking about. Even yeah. the Guinness Extra Stout is 5.6% ABV. Yeah, and so it's, it's super... Not, it's, it's not like it's... Uh, it's it's not, good. It, re- it really is. And, and you know, it's we have tried on, on this show, and Ian has tried just at his house, um, a whole lot of different stouts. And uh, what I find interesting is that it's almost certain to me that the ones that are a bit higher in ABV are going to have the best flavor profiles. Guinness is the exception to that. Because you guys have got just really full flavored beer without it being heavy, without it being... High ABV. I, honestly, I don't know how you do it. It's it's a very that's one of the questions I had before I started working for him. I was it's, asking that as a brewer because every dark beer I make, it was you know would be sweet. It would be hard to attenuate or otherwise. So one of the processes of fermentation, the primary pr- process of fermentation, is the yeast is eating the sugar mm-hmm. and producing alcohol. Mm-hmm. The more alcohol, uh, the more sugar that the yeast eats, the more alcohol it puts out. Problem is, yeast are like people, and eventually they they die from alcohol. They mm-hmm. die from CO two suffocation, and so it's difficult. One of the major the the one of the central you know jobs of a brewer is to get the yeast to eat more sugar. And if you can say to a brewer, a couple compliments you can tell a brewer. First one is that does not taste that strong. It tastes like it's waste lower than that because that mm-hmm. means they covered up the alcohol well it's not mm-hmm. it's very easy to make a beer that tastes boozy it's very boozy sure sure and the and other we've thing had plenty of those on air too and the other thing you can say or you can just show it by drinking by wanting to drink it is if it's dry that means that the yeast was healthy enough to be a marathon runner and eat <clears throat> a lot of those sugars mm-hmm. leaving a very dry beer dry being being advantageous for us for a few reasons one because Excuse me. It dries out your mouth, makes you want to drink more. Mm-hmm. Uh, sugar is one of the biggest causes of hangovers, so less sugar is better. Um, it's also sugar is good conversely for flavor profile because you get mm-hmm. that big, full, rich one. So that's why those higher ones tend to have a better flavor profile. It's easier to do. So when a brewer makes a dry beer, it's really, really satisfying, and that's why. That's what it makes this beer, I think, unique. Is is that all of our beers are dark, um, but very dry. We call that the Doritos effect here yeah, on the show. Yeah, you want more. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, 
And just to just to try and get it out there, like what we're talking about is uh, this doesn't have a heavy viscous mouthfeel to it, right? Yeah. And none of your beers have that, um, and that's obviously not what you go for. So it's a stout, unlike most stouts that you try, mm-hmm. in that they're not going for a big crazy mouthfeel. It's a lot of flavor, but it's not strong alcohol. It's not strong. Mouthfeel, those kind of things. Was the regular Guinness Stout the first Guinness beer, and then this came after? So uh, these are. So if we go back to the thinking of it as in categories, we've always had what Guinness is four point two percent, actually lower than that. If you would have gone to Dublin in uh, the you know the late seventeen hundreds, you uh, Dublin was an iron worker city, so very blue collar, so. Water was not as clean as as treated as beer, and so you would have if you would have went into a pub and you would have ordered a beer, it probably would have been a low ABV beer. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I say that Guinness Draft is within that category of a low alcohol, easy to drink, sessionable beer mm-hmm. that we've made since the beginning. However, it is it it. it uses technology that wasn't available in the 1700s. It wasn't available till much later than that technology that we invented, and that is the infusion of nitrogen, which okay. we can talk more about when and, we get to and it. Yeah, and so I want to talk to you, uh, when we uh, come back in, in the, in the uh, next segment, I want to talk to you a little bit about the nitrogen. I want to talk to you about why, more so than any other beer, any other beverage that I know of, people who are fans of Guinness are obsessed with the perfect pour. So I want to talk about why that is and what is the perfect pour. And we'll uh, so we'll have those questions and of course we'll be sampling more as we go. You're listening to and watching uh, Smoking and Toasting. It's show number 278. Our guest today uh, from Guinness is uh, Mr. David Schroeder and we'll be right back. The Suffers, I love those guys. They so have good. a uh, they have a new album coming, by the way. Nice, very cool. So, welcome back. It is uh, smoking and toasting. We are the program that's all about craft beer, uh, fine spirits, and hand rolled cigars. Speaking of which, happy birthday wishes are in order for one Manuel Manolo Casada. Uh, ah. The great cigar maker turned 75 years old this wow. week. Wow. Uh, in honor of his milestone and his many decades in the cigar industry, he has blended a limited edition cigar, did the blend himself, and it is called the Manolo Casada 75th. It should start appearing in retail by this summer. So I will be looking for under that. Under the headline yeah. cigars to watch for. I remember one of my first like cigars that I just went absolutely crazy for before I kind of became the AJ Fernandez fanboy uh, <laughs> was the Casada uh, Oktoberfest Oktoberfest yeah uh, and it was different every year and some years were better than others but there were a couple of years in there that 2016 that, oh, is still legendary oh, in my mind that is just a fantastic cigar it, to the point where if I'm like visiting another city and I pop into a cigar store and they happen to still have some mm-hmm. I buy them all 
It's yep. just it's just that it's that good. But anyway, uh, it was made at Casadas Tabacos de uh, Exportacion uh, factory in the Dominican Republic. It will be only available in a single Churchill size, six and three quarter by forty eight, and is that's one of his go to sizes. Uh, it is rolled with an Ecuadorian Corojo wrapper, a Dominican binder, and a mix of Dominican and Nicaraguan fillers, slated to retail for about fifteen dollars each. Uh, and uh, cigar stores and, and uh, lounges will be able to pre-order it at this year's PCA trade show. They're limiting it to only uh, 1,200 boxes of 10. So there's oh, wow. not going to be that many of them out there. Uh, Encore from EP Korea, which you are familiar mm-hmm. with, uh, hit the market for the first time in the spring of 2018. And it has been an absolute rarity in the cigar industry because it has not had a Robusto size. That is about to change as the E.P. Carrillo Encore Robusto, uh, which is still the most popular size in American cigar shops, um, it is uh, it is hitting cigar stores almost immediately. It is called the E.P. Carrillo Encore El Futuro, which is Spanish for the Futuro. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Uh, it's a uh, Robusto measuring five inches long by fifty, and it's going to retail for eleven ninety. But the release will initially be limited uh, to a thousand boxes of ten cigars. I, I'm predicting this will be one of those that is, initially limited, and then it'll be that uh, is much the spread. dead center of Robusto mm-hmm. size. Yeah, too. It, like, yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, it has the same dimension, by the way, as another cigar of the year that E.P. Carrillo made, which was the uh, Pledge. Uh, that that it was mm-hmm. the robusto size. So, and uh, one more piece of uh, cigars to watch for news: uh, Davidoff's uh, black banded uh, edition or collection, rather, of cigars, historically referred to as the Discovery series, is getting a uh, new limited edition. Although, rather than fitting into an existing line, it's a combination of its Escurio, Nicaragua, and Yamasa blends. It's the Davidoff limited edition 2022. Grand Toro. It's a five and a half by fifty-eight, capped off by a dark Ecuadorian wrapper, a Brazilian seed binder underneath, and five different fillers, and it will retail for thirty-two dollars per cigar. Wow! Because it's a Davidoff. Well, I, you've now said Davidoff four times or five times, so oh, you yeah. already owe him twenty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I've only got like a couple of ones here. I mean, can you spot me? <laughs> yeah, they uh, they are not known for producing inexpensive cigars, yeah. that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, uh, those are some cigars to watch for, though. Some good stuff coming out. I can't wait to try that Casada. Yeah, yeah, uh, that'll that's, be nice. That's going to be uh, absolutely wonderful. All right, so this Guinness U Portis is out of a bottle. Talk yes. to us uh, about what exactly we're sampling here. Okay, so we're going up the you know, the three categories of based on strength. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is the highest one that we make historically. So foreign mm-hmm. extra stout made for foreign export. Uh, first brewed this category probably 1801. And so this is extra hops and extra alcohol so that it preserves. Correct. Yeah, that's the that, that was the chief method of preservation prior to refrigeration. So actually in the United States, we had... Prohibition, a very dark period in our in our past. Yes, uh, 1990 to 19, 1919 to nineteen thirty three. Mm-hmm. Um, before that period, this category of beer would have been shipped to the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, via, it would it was called you know we didn't name a beer for marketing really at that time. It was just where it was going. So we we labeled it West Indies Porter because that 
because that was the the trading port. Um, but yes, higher alcohol, higher hops. After prohibition, refrigeration became more <laughs> wide, widespread, mm-hmm. and so we did the beer that we just t- tasted, extra stout, extra up stout. until 1959, whenever. Uh, 1964, rather, was whenever it was released in the United States, when Guinness Draft, which is now what everybody associates with Guinness, with Guinness, yeah, uh, which we'll taste next. So you uh, you mentioned the um, the what did you call it the East Indies? How did you what did you say it was called in the United you? States? What we would have the the earliest uh, uh, the earliest record we have of beer going to the United United States was in 1817, and that was six large barrels. Of West Indies Porter, so West Indies Porter, which was named thusly for the same reasons that uh, IPA got India its, Pale it, its name as an India Pale Ale. People say, "Well, did it originate in India?" No, but it was about beer that was being shipped uh, along the um, uh, along the what do you call the Silk Road or whatever mm-hmm. whatever the the trade routes were, and it was designed to be as hoppy as it was, not because people were looking for that big burst of hops like a lot of beer aficionados mm-hmm. now, but because it would help it keep. Correct. And, and and it wouldn't spoil on the journey. Yeah, and it's kind of uh, it's kind of odd, again, mm-hmm. how we were talking about now we're using barrels for flavor. Same thing happened with IPAs in that at that time, hops was one of the, way, the, the few ways that you could, as a brewer, preserve your beer. Uh, now we're doing it completely different. We're not Putting, making hoppy beers to keep. In fact, hoppy IPAs are best when they're yeah, fresh. Yeah, they're fresh. Drink them fresh, yeah. so it's yeah. exactly. gone full circle on that. Exactly. So we have a totally different, we're getting flavors now out of hops that are completely different from when that style was first created. Um, but same concept in, with this beer. Uh, this, of course, in the continent of Africa, it was uninterrupted. There was no prohibition there. And so that's why 85% of our global sales of Guinness are this beer in the continent of Africa. They drink that's a so ton of this yeah. beer. So interesting. And that's, to your point, why it's not a necessarily a cold-weather beer, and that proof is in the sales. Yeah. Because it's right. not in, in Africa that they drink a ton of this round. beer. Yeah, yeah, it's year-round. Uh, so this is the What's the ABV on this one? 7.5. 7.5. This is the only uh, Guinness that you get just a touch of booziness on the nose. Yeah, it's I, I get butterscotch a lot out of this. This is diacetyl that is kind of used and is allowed in this particular style, but in other styles it'd be an off flavor. Um, it, it's big beer. It's super rich. It's mm-hmm. super decadent. I still think if you put it by against any other seven point five percent stout on the shelf, it's or anything in the seven range, it's still drier. It still has that kind of finish that, yeah. that cuts mm-hmm. off all that all that sweetness, but. This is, I think, one of the best beers we this make. This is also the most carbonated. It has it has this carbonation zing that sits on the tongue after after you mm-hmm. take a sip. That's that's oddly interesting mm-hmm. in this beer. And I think in a lot of stouts that can be distracting, and in this one, uh, the bitterness of the hops and that carbonation zing kind of add a little something. Well, something. yeah, I was going to say it, it does actually work. And the the thing that I get most out of this is that the the chocolate note is a really really dark semi-bitter yeah. uh, kind of a chocolate it just it just kind of hangs out on your tongue after the finish and it's really uh but you're right in with with the um with the carbonation which is often detracts i think from stouts if they're too carbonated in this case it really really works that and that bitter 
uh, dark chocolate vibe just work really, really well together. So we use coffee and chocolate flavor descriptors all the time to describe our beers, especially this one, bittersweet espresso, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. chocolate. Um, and the reason there is a, a practical reason. We were talking earlier about how people use ridiculous flavors. This is not that ridiculous to use those flavors <laughs> because we actually roast the barley very similar to how you roast coffee. It's a mm-hmm. large rotating mm-hmm. drum. We've been doing it that way for over 200 years. Um, and that's one of the secret, I think, part of the secret sauce of our beers is that the dark, roasty character mm-hmm. is our own because we oversee that roasting. And so we roast it in big drums. And when barley, it turns out when you roast barley or roast anything really to that point, you know, same thing happens with a steak when you get that nice char on it. Mm-hmm. Right. I was going to say you guys roasted a little further, I think, because uh, you get almost that charred flavor from it. Yeah, they like the flavor profile is 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 definitely more of that bittersweet espresso. I bet type. it smells amazing when you guys oh, are doing it that. Does. It's really nice. I yeah, the, the roast house smells really good. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk the perfect pour. We're going to see if we can do a perfect pour with the help of a little gadget that David brought. And uh, we also, I, I haven't mentioned this, but uh, we're just a segment or two away from drinking news, our most popular uh, portion of the program. And I have not given you today's drinking news teaser headline. Which is monkey see, monkey do. Anytime drinking news is about monkeys, it's a thing to look forward to. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. I don't know if you've ever heard, and they're out there. You can you can find them and listen to it. If you ever uh, heard the Ricky Gervais podcast, which came out a number of years ago. We can go ahead and do, do the music. That's fine. Uh, they, they had a segment on it called Monkey News. Uh-huh. And it was always my favorite portion of the show. <laughs> and uh, so we'll have some monkey news and some drinking news coming up. And uh, we'll also talk more Guinness and the perfect pour. Smoking and toasting. Smoking and Toasting, this program's all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. We are uh, excited to be on show number 278, and uh, even more excited to have Guinness in the house. And we'll get back to uh, Guinness in uh, j- in just a moment. So uh, thanks for hanging on with us. We're going to do our best to see if we can make a perfect pour and, and talk about why that is, in fact, important, uh, if, if it is important. Uh, David will explain. It, it'll, it'll all be good. Uh, Cigar Aficionados put out a new list, as they uh, are prone to do, of eight extraordinary cigars everyone should be smoking. Right now! It doesn't actually say that, but it almost feels like it's implied. Yeah, I- you know, it doesn't say it, but it, it, yeah. you should. <laughs> so uh, I'll just uh, I'll just run down this list for you, and you can see if you uh, want to try any of these. They recommend uh, the Brickhouse Churchill. It's a Nicaraguan cigar. Uh, it got 92 points. Yes. And uh, they say a cigar company as old as J.C. Newman often has a big book of old trademarks it can resurrect, and Brickhouse is one of them. It's actually positioned as a value brand, but they say it's certainly doesn't smoke you cannot go more. wrong with a Brickhouse cigar. Yeah. Uh, the current uh, Cuban uh, Cohiba Robusto makes the list. If you can get your hands on one of these, and it's real, mm-hmm. uh, you will really enjoy smoking it. They they say it was once described as the ultimate power lunch cigar, uh, but envelops the palate with a perceptibly creamy smoke. I will say, I got, 
a half a dozen of those from a buddy one time as a gift. They showed up in a FedEx envelope. And uh, they were some of the best cigars I've ever smoked. I've been in search of that experience again ever since. And right. I've tried some, and they have not lived up to what I remembered those being like. Uh, or maybe the ones I tried weren't really good. Yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> it's entirely possible. There's but, that. Uh, the E.P. Carrillo, La Historia Senador, uh, got 93 points, part one in what was to become an epic trilogy of cigar brands. La Historia is made by uh, Ernesto Perez Carrillo, and it is uh, driven by a Mexican rapper backed up by Nicaraguan filler for a smoke they say is full of dark chocolate, black licorice, and coffee. Uh, the Cuban Monte Cristo Edmundo. Uh, got 93 points in Cigar Aficionado. And the Nicaraguan Padron Damase, number 12. Now, have you had the... Uh, I'm sorry, not Damase, Damaso. Have you had the Damaso? I don't think so. I have not. So it's a it's a, a rounded Padron cigar. It's not box pressed. And it's got the uh, Damaso band underneath the more typical uh, Padron band, if you're looking for it. So if you're, if you're looking down the aisle at your favorite cigar store and you see all the Padrones, the one that has that little extra band secondary may band, be yeah. what you're looking for. Uh, the Partagas Serie D, uh, number five, from Cuba, 94 points. Uh, you got me some of those uh, not, not that long ago. We had ago. the number four. Uh, oh, so this is the number five. Yeah, you're no, no, right. This is the number five, which is a different size. I don't think four is a little one. longer. I think the five is is shorter. Uh, the Placencia Almafuerte Generation V from Nicaragua. That's the one that's so tapered. It looks like an Andalusian bull, kind of the shape of right. it. Right. Uh, but it's just a regular Placencia Almafuerte, and it's really good. And then finally, the Rocky Patel sixty sixty from Nicaragua uh, yeah. that they show at ninety three points, which is you know it's one of the reasons you go in. And that thing is so amazing. The the cigar band goes all the way down the length of the yeah. cigar. It's one of the reasons people overlook like the Sun Grown, which is the one that I had today. Because you go in and that cigar is just so pretty. You got to have it. Rocky Patel has so many good cigars. Yeah, yeah, birthdays and anniversaries are taken very seriously in the uh, cigar industry. So happy uh, birthday anniversary or whatever Rocky has that turned 60. Uh, I hope it was good. Um, you are checking out Smoking and Toasting, and we are thrilled to be here this week. Our guest, David Schroeder, is with Guinness. And, okay, so before we try one, what is the mystery? What is the secret why is the perfect pour a thing? That's a good question and not one that I can readily answer. Really? Yeah. It's it, I, well because it, it's something that you know to, to to zoom out and not to get too esoteric. But you you both said that you said especially that you met your wife through indirectly through Guinness. She is very critical about the poor that she gets. And I love that she was calling around and asking, yeah. who has St. Patrick's Day? I have to have a Guinness on St. Patrick's Day. I met my fiance through a perfect poor competition. She was working mm -hmm. in Oklahoma at a bar, and I was a judge there, and she poured a perfect poor. And so I also am kind of, you know, connected. <laughs> my life is, you know, indirectly indebted to this, mm -hmm. this, to Guinness and the perfect pour is such a big part of of what we do. I love that. It and it's not something that it's why I say I can't fully understand it because I can't think of any other beer. No one's saying, man, they pour a really good pint of of Michelob Ultra. You know? <laughs> so it's just not something that, just, that something yeah. about that just sent a shiver up my spine. It that just seemed so wrong. I've never heard anybody so, say it with any other beer. There's a, so, there is a thing as the slow pour. 
Yeah, that's true. The slow pour so in Czech Republic. Yeah, there is a there is a precedent. And there's a there's a brewery here in Houston. <clears throat> there's a couple of them that do it. So Eureka Heights will do a slow pour. And it takes, I think, a specific device to do it, right? Yeah, you have to have a specific tap. And, uh, and, then, and also equal parts. Right. I had their lager beer on slow pour actually just a few days ago, and, and? it is fantastic. And then there's, of course, our buddy uh, Chris Hart, who's our resident whiskey expert, and he believes in the hard pour. He just slams Yeah, but he also drinks Montucky Cold Snack and yeah, loves it. Yeah, well, you know, there's no accounting for taste. <laughs> there's no accounting for taste. So I He lo- was surprised we didn't like it. That's what blew me away. I mean, this then is he guy- tried to sneak it to us. Yeah, well, I know. We were like, this is but, terrible. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's mo- Montucky Cold he, Snack. <laughs> he malorded us with Montucky Cold Snack. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the slow <laughs> pour is, is... So there's the one exception. There, there's one. I mean, there are some examples, but it, it's not very common, and mm-hmm. I don't know exactly where it comes from i can tell you that for for generations you know like back in the day we would send we would actually not put anything in bottles in fact to this day in dublin we do not put anything in bottles or cans we put it in tankers and ship it somewhere else to be bottled and canned for and the reason behind that was because back in the day we didn't do any canning and bottling of our own you would actually see somebody else's label on it and that somebody else usually ran a pub and they would just put it from their barrels from their tap they would put it into bottles and so from that people got a name and a recognition for pouring a good pint of guinness or pouring bot they they know how to bottle so we always had this in our dna like handling it a certain way and i think that's part of why it still lives today but in terms of you know i can tell you that as somebody who has traveled all across the country and tried Guinness all over there is something that is extremely satisfied when you satisfying when you get a good one and a lot of times getting a good one is know it when I see it and there's something extremely demoralizing whenever I get one that is not handled correctly interesting okay so if it's not handled correctly what most likely happened so there's a few things that can be the biggest ones. Patience. Yeah, there's there's the pouring aspect is definitely one of the, the hardest parts of it. And when I say you know it when you see the good one, it's literally like it just kind of shines like in the commercial. Uh, and you just look at it and it just makes you want to drink it because there's certain things that, the you know, checkpoints that have been hit. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever it's not there, what I see the most often that I've noticed across the country is it's, it's poured into a shaker pint and this this is a shaker pint for example okay, okay. so i get served that particular and i we distribute like here in houston we distribute through through distri- two, two distributors htc and faust and they're awesome distributors they also distribute they're probably their biggest customer is molson cores and so that's we're in most molson cores we're not in anheuser-busch and that's a part of the reason i can talk shit about them all the time <laughs> is because we're not usually with them but one thing i'll do to my molson cores distributors when i'm trading is i'll give them a picture of, of a, a guinness i was served in a bud light glass versus one that i was served in a guinness glass yeah. and looks perfect and the guinness glass has got a little taper to it yeah yeah mm-hmm. And the main thing is is that it's different. I mean, it doesn't have to be. There are places here in town that pour Guinness into not a Guinness glass, but it's not a shaker pint. These are really bad for beer in terms of they're designed to 
uh, kill foam, basically. That's it's kind of an efficient, utilitarian. This shape of this glass is designed so the foam comes out and you can pour it off easily because the beer is too foamy. Uh, but you can't actually build a nice head of foam. So, and, and as we've talked about the perfect pour, what distinguishes it is the head on the beer being correct. Is that right? The head's part of it. Yeah, that's one of the four visual indicators I say. Being in a good glass is the other one. Um, we, we, I don't think we're going to be able to do it here today. I did bring some gadget that I've never played with before. That's probably a bad idea to do first time on this program, but... Well, um, oh, come on, I'm for it. Let's it fire wouldn't it up. Be, it wouldn't be the first bad idea we've gone for on the program, so, uh, so you know, don't be afraid. So, uh, I'll show you first, just if you get a can from, you know, this this is something I like to do on radio, but you can actually hear mm-hmm. as I'm, you know... Right, you can hear out. that little uh, nitro thing knocking yeah, around in there. Yeah, so this is, this is a, that was an invention that came along about 30 years after the invention of nitrogenation. Nitrogenation being the infusion of beer with nitrogen that we invented and released first in 1959. Nitrogen having smaller bubbles than carbon dioxide gives you a velvety, it's kind of the difference between fine sand and a Mm -hmm, rocky beach. mm -hmm. So velvety texture. Um, So that 30 years it took us to figure out, well, how do we put that in a can that people can take home? And that's what that widget is the invention. Did you used to call it like a rocket? It, we used to call it a rocket when it was in yeah. the bottle, right. but this is a round ball if you cut okay. it open. Okay. And the, the the design of that is exactly like when you see a nozzle at the bar. There is a restrictor plate inside, which is slightly smaller than nitrogen bubbles, and that nitrogen wants to squeeze through there, and that kind of agitates everything. And that's the job of the widget, too. There are tiny holes in there. So I want, I want to point out, if you're watching the video, you notice he's not afraid to shake around that can. It's because it's not carbonated. It's car- Yeah, it's well, 25% CO2 it, and 75% it's very, nitrogen. It's very light carbonated, so it's not like it's going to explode yeah, nitrogen just by is moving it around. way right. more stable. That was one of the... The central that was one of the benefits whenever it was first released is hey this is a more stable beer it's not going to be as foamy right. whenever you are pouring it off a keg so I'll open a regular can if you were to open it um, and it will make a little bit of a mess uh, and you'll hear that widget actually thank you uh, you'll hear that widget actually spinning around in the solution and making a high it should make a high pitch squeal. Now that may be one of the better uh, sound effects uh, for opening a beer that we've yeah, had on the show. You might need to capture that one. Keep it. <laughs> but yeah. to, to, for for a can, um, I'm not going to get a perfect head on it. But I am just going to do a straight continuous pour. You said you like to do straight straight down Mm-mm, pour. That's I dump fine. the can. Dump the can right in there. You but, familiar with that? Dump yeah, the can just dump and it pull and then it up. Kind of lift yeah. it up. So in this can, you still get, it's not going to be as good as... you look at those as, cascading bubbles. Though. Yeah, cascading bubbles. It's not going to get as beautiful as whenever you have it on a tap. That's why I have it on tap of my house for that very reason, because I love I love the experience of having that beer pour. Can I, can I try one in the other glass that we have? Yeah, 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 of course. Because I've found, I've done it like that with the hard pour like you do, but I've found if you dump the glass... Let's see it. Um, uh, while you're doing that, I'll just mention you, t- you talked about having a, uh, a, a tap in your home. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, responsible for getting one of those from Guinness for Dave Matthews. Okay, when no, I'm talking kidding. about dumping the can in the glass, I'm literally talking about. Yeah. And then you just kind of pull it up as it fills, right? Yeah. And this 
you can kind of control how the head. Yeah, I love that. Develops. Yeah, bartenders love doing that. Let's see. Let's nice. see. That's a nice one. You're doing a good job there, Ian. That's good. I practice. That is amazing. And you can get it wow. to just rim the glass. So this is a device. That's really a really nice, nice head, by the way. So this thing that looks like one of those plague doctors from back in the uh, <laughs> uh, from back in the, uh, <laughs> the medieval times, uh, or or some kind of uh, twisted muppet. What is that? This is a nitro surge. So over in you know during lockdown, they in Ireland, you know they're very much pub people. Right. And so well, you have to open that first. Yeah, for I think pool, so. I, I, I puncture. I've never done this before, so I have no idea what I'm doing really. It's not also not the, the way to do it. But during lockdown in Ireland, when the pubs were closed, they devised all these systems to do things with cans. And this is one of the ones that, that they came out with. Oh, I'm liking it so far. I but guess. it's a similar now, do thing. Do you have your what, finger on a button on the back of yeah, that? Yeah, there's a button right there, and it uses sound waves. So that's a pretty good... That's a pretty good pour. I have to say, now that I'm looking at this pour and that pour, they're almost the same, uh, the the one that you did with the hard pour. Yeah. And anything we get out of a can, I mean, the tap that is, is in my opinion, the way to get it to enjoy this beer. It's meant to be enjoyed fresh. It's meant to be enjoyed with friends at the pub, you know, three or four hours at the pub. Uh, so, so a good pour doesn't necessarily mean... That the bartender makes a little heart shape on the top of the suds like they do with uh, with coffee. Uh, you've seen that, right? Where they yeah, the, they'll put shamrocks yeah, and yeah, things yeah, in yeah, there. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. yeah. Is that part of it? Which is, nah. which is cool when they do it because yeah. it looks neat, but it has to be a good pour on top of that. Well, well Irish uh, brewers, are, are Irish uh, bartenders are extremely particular about Guinness. They handle it very, very well over there. That you have to, you have to, in order to be a pub over there, and they kind of turned their nose up at doing clovers and shamrocks and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing in the beginning and then they realized Just, that they got really good tips from Americans. Uh, <laughs> so actually that's, that's part of Canada now. Yeah, that's how it works. Well, it's uh, yeah, it's always interesting when you when you see it done, but I want to see someone uh, do like a self-portrait with it, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, well, some uh, um, some artistic Cuz I think it's the them. only beer that you can even do that with really, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it has that foam. Even when we poured that 3 minutes ago, it's still got a foam on it, mm-hmm, you know. It's mm-hmm. kind of nice. So you look at I now I've had about half of that cup. Here's the one you just poured, but you can see there's still a nice layer of foam on top of that. Yep. And uh, and this one is you know, working its way toward a more um you know, a more solid, defined uh, body with the head on top, but uh, but it 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 will last. This head will last on this until I drink. So, it. So, uh, my brother-in-law is asking about making snake bites with Guinness. Mm. That's a Guinness and a, a cider. Yeah, I am. and I'm not a big fan of that particular drink, but a lot of people really do like Some it. Some people like combining things. More and there's than the I half do. and half, which uh, is half, the uh, black and tan, or the I black like. and tan. Yeah, sorry, not black the half and, and tan. Half, I the, do. The I do Guinness like that. And, Harp, right? Yeah, yeah, Cor- correct. And yeah. what's the relationship of Harp to Guinness? Harp is a beer that we released in the 1950s, uh, and we create. It was the 1950s is when lager beer in Germany was kind of beginning its its world domination, <laughs> and it's still to this day. If you go into any country that sells beer, that their number one selling beer will be a lager. Will be a lager. Well, wow. so um, that started in the 50s, and to keep up, Guinness wanted to make a, a lighter beer 
And so they hired a German brewer. They bought a brewery in Dundalk, Ireland, and they started <coughs> producing Harp Lager. Um, now it's all I produced like in Dublin. It's yeah, pretty good lager. I, I, I like yeah. Harp. Yeah. I think I think it's I think it's really good. In fact, you know, back in the uh, space. You know, just before I really started to expand into trying a lot of different craft beers, Harp was actually one of my favorites. I'd love to yeah. go into the Irish pub so I could get a, a Harp because it actually had some lager flavor. Again, a lager with flavor as opposed to yeah. some, of the, some of the macro brews. And, and so, so is Guinness considered, because of its popularity and how much you guys produce, are you considered a macro brew? Do you consider yourselves a, uh, a a craft beer. How how does Guinness see itself as a company? Well, the term craft is has changed a lot, and it's mm-hmm. kind of a moving target because you have uh, breweries like uh, Boston Beer, right? That is, they're know, still privately owned. They weren't sold to one of the big guys, but they are a pretty big company, mm-hmm. and and uh, and their beers available just about everywhere. The Texas equivalent of that would be Shiner. Yeah, you know, yep. uh, they're they're. Bigger than most of what you would call microbrews, right? But they're not. They also have a still have a great sense of craft to them, mm-hmm. and they're not a, 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 a you know a macro brew. And then there's ones like you know Carbach or Wicked Weed or or uh, Goose Island that started as craft breweries were bought by the big guys we kind of call those macro craft right you know yeah. uh, at this point but uh, because there's still definitely some some craft brewing going on um but i, I don't know it's uh, so, so so how does guinness see how do you guys see yourself uh we don't we don't call ourselves a craft brewery just it's it, it by any definition we make a lot more beer than that um and we're also part of a larger company. We're the biggest. Diageo is the biggest spirits company in the world. Right now, that is that happened in the 1990s. And to be honest, you know the consolidations you see today are big breweries like you'll see Sapporo by Anchor, you know, or right. something like right. that. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit different because that's a beer company, a big beer company, that's coming to another beer company. That's not what was really going on in the 90s. Whenever Diageo bought Guinness. There was just at that time you would have you know it was kind of like like you were you were diversified into a lot of different things. You could be right. into they've hotels. They've got whiskeys. They've yeah. got uh, uh, tequilas. They've got other things. They've got beers. But like you're absolutely right. They diversify into things that aren't spirits or or beverages at all. It was kind of hip at that time to buy everything, and so <laughs> they they bought Guinness, and it's been really good for us because. They have left us kind of alone, but we have, even for myself, we have deeper pockets than a brewery. So I could, you know, I get to do a lot more fun stuff. We get to d- focus a lot more on quality. You know, we would call it, in layman's terms, the perfect pour. Mm-hmm. We get to put a lot of effort and time into that or building the brewery in Baltimore. Right. You know, that we, we age stuff in those bullet barrels. The reason we can do that is because of, of this, you know, of, of Diageo. So we don't call ourselves craft, but I think that we do have a. What I love about working for this brewery is even myself as a former professional brewer. They, we kind of hold a special place in right. a lot of brewers' hearts, where they That's look true. at our they look at our beer and they taste, and they're like, "It is there is something different going on here." Mm-hmm. The quality 
I never appreciated the importance of consistency and quality in terms of that is why this name and this label means so much. That's why I have people coming up and wanting swag all the time, even though they don't drink it. They just like <laughs> that name because it's a good it, they, they know that it's a good thing. And so we you know, it's we're not craft, but I think that there's a lot of things about you know, in the craft movement that we've done really well. And, you been, know, and been doing for a very, for long, a very time. long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, the beers are terrific. I just, I, I, I love actually just your basic Guinness draft. There's something about that taste, that flavor that's just like, uh, it's like a happy place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, it reminds me of really good times with friends where we've uh, been out and drinking Guinness and just, it just takes you right back to that. I love the, you know the foreign extra stout and and the uh, the extra stout as beers, but to me this is what Guinness tastes like. And I love that. I mean that's you know if you think compare us to any other stout or any other beer, really any other import beer, um, there's not much that you can. There's not many beers out there that you can say. Um, have lasted in this category, right? Uh, and so I love that this is our one of our newer beers, <laughs> even though it was released <laughs> yeah. in 1959, and it's what everybody associates us with. Right. Uh, yet this is considered a, a pretty recent technological innovation, and I love that that's what people associate us with. And to be honest, if we had not had these beers, this beer, we wouldn't have be the world's most recognizable best-selling style. So before we go to break, let me just ask you this question because I have some Guinness fan friends who love Guinness to death, but they don't like the cans. They, they, they say, oh no, a real Guinness is one that's poured for you the right way at the pub. How do you feel, how good do you feel you guys have gotten at replicating the you know, on draft experience with the technology and everything that's gone into these cans. Are you, are, are you guys happy with it? Because I got to say, I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure I could tell the difference if you if you pulled one on draft and, and went behind the counter and poured the other one out of one of these cans. It's could, could you? Yeah, I. Th- it's hard for me to say because I don't know how much of the of the enjoyment of it is the presentation. That's a good point. And maybe yeah, if you do a blind it, yeah. taste test, that would be the curious thing. Yeah. I think, to me, I have... So here's how I say it. So, you know, you have this device that came out of kind of the pandemic and mm-hmm. us trying to mess around and trying to make the can better. Um, this is what I'll say. I've been doing... I've been doing a lot of pairing work, pairing food and beer for the last few years. And... I have had this beer with a cheese from a Vermont creamery called Parish Hill Creamery, and it made that beer out of the can taste better than it ever has because the, the, beer, the food elevated it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Normal nine times out of ten when I open up a can, I'm expe- I get it like 85 would be my, my grading scale. Versus uh, a pint out of in a pub at 100. So, well, I think, yeah. And then, so to take this Nitro Surge, I believe it has the ability to give it a couple more points. There's an even bigger machine that we're starting to sell in the United States to pubs that if they don't want to have a keg, they can put a, can, a special can into a cradle. It looks just like a tap. That, That's I cool. was skeptical of it, and then I, I tried it, and I was like, that makes it taste better. I don't know if it's presentation. I don't know if it's the, the liquid in the can. That maybe knocks it up to 
a 90. But 98, 99, 100 only had in pubs, only had off draft. Ian, does the new potato do Guinness on draft? I don't know if they do anything on draft, do they? Oh, they have lots and lots of drafts. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm positive he has uh, Guinness on draft. Yeah. So maybe we should do that on a future show. The New Potato is a, a you know, just one of our favorite local hangout places, and Paul, the guy that runs it, is awesome and super supportive. I think and I've been there. That's a little. It's it's an Irish guy that runs it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's, it's I've an met East him before. Down, he used to work at the Harp years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, an, it's in East Downtown. They've got a really nice, uh, really big outdoor area, and uh, we do a number of shows there. We've done the pipe show there mm-hmm. before because there's you know we can sit outside and under the uh, uh, under the rooftop and smoke. So it's a great place to do that. Stuff and, and he's just a friend, and will always let us do stuff. But we should do that. We should get some cans and, and have him do a draft version versus for us and do a blind taste test and see if you or I can tell the difference. I'm I'm not sure that I could. I'd love to. But I'd you, love to do you it. You spend more time. I always doing this feel thing. like because I'm a big fan of draft beer. I always feel like draft yeah. beer has a little bit better flavor overall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it could be. I mean, there's there's just a truth to like the fact that we see things, we put up a set of expectations, and we will go with that no matter what mm-hmm. you know? but you can't pressurize this can as much as you can a, a stainless steel keg so there's there's a different in pressure too there's there's going to yeah. be which is going to mean the carbonation is going to be a little different right yeah it yeah. feels it i don't know what it is that's why i have i have a huge keg right in my house i have four different taps on and that's part of the reason why that's so cool man. but we can do we should do that <laughs> test a guinness with, keg is a very expensive proposition yeah. but man is it good. it's worth it <laughs> well, so, I, I mentioned this by the way i was doing a music event uh, doing an acoustic show for winners with Dave Matthews. And it just turned out, this was when I was in Boston, it just turned out that the sponsor of this series we were doing was Guinness. And I mentioned it to Dave Matthews. I said, hey, Guinness is the sponsor if you want to you know, uh, mention their name. He goes, Guinness, I love Guinness, he says. You know what I really want? And he's like like looking, to, goes, I really want to get a, get a Guinness tap in my house. I said, Stay right here. I went and got the Guinness guy. Sure enough, a month later, Guinness put a uh, a, a tap, <laughs> a, a working Guinness tap, in Dave Matthews' house in Washington State or wherever. I just did lives. that for Jason Momoa in, in L.A. Uh, the actor. He oh, he was cool. he did the same exact thing. He was like, and he promotes us a lot, and it's 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 really good for us. It's 100 percent organic advertising. So. But he super cool guy and just wanted a tap for all of his people. He got a tap for Aquaman. Oh. I'm geeking out big time. I'm geeking out. All right, we had to take a break. We'll be back. Uh, drinking news is coming up next. Plus, we have some rum to taste. And uh, I'm I've been sitting here looking at the bottle, going, hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. So we'll uh, be right back with uh, drinking news and more on smoking and toasting. Guinness, baby. Smoking and toasting. We are the program that's all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand rolled cigars. And we are absolutely thrilled to have uh, uh, David Schroeder with uh, Guinness with us today. And uh, and and I didn't realize until you uh, mentioned it that you also uh, used to work at Independence 
uh, Brewing, which that's just a great little craft brewery in Austin. They make amazing beer, yeah. They mm-hmm. really and do. And they've blown up since I worked there, too. Yeah, uh, there's there's so many good... We, we have a tendency almost to downplay the Austin breweries because we get a little jealous at how much more attention they seem to get than the beer scene here in Houston, which we think is actually better. I think uh, the food scene is definitely better here. Yeah, and uh, the the beer—it's just different, isn't it? It's just yeah. Uh, but there's but there's everything in Houston, like Austin, uh, and I'm really not bagging. I love so many of the great breweries in Austin, but it feels to me like Austin's breweries are more similar to each other, whereas with Houston, I mean, look how different and varied the styles love, are. When I talk about Houston breweries. There are certain breweries that go for certain styles. Right. you got Klaus, which is doing uh, the German, German style. All German style you got, beers. Uh, you um, got, um, you know. you got Spindle Tap if you want hazy IPA. Right, right. You if got, you want outrageous, you got Ingenious. Right. And, and uh, then you've got, like, St. Arnold, which does the the coolest seasonals, seasonals so in the good. world. They're so good. Springbok is out, by the way. No, Spring Springbok is gone. Uh, oh, I, I know where I can get you some. You want some? <laughs> yes. Oh, <that's> <laughs> there's still some. Man, there's still I had stem. to hunt down a keg of it for my sister's wedding uh, yeah. a couple weeks ago. Well, there's still some. And down- it was all sold out. I found like one keg. Still some downstairs for me at Phoenicia, so I'll, oh, nice. I'll uh, get you a six-pack, buddy. Yeah, remember who your nice. friends are. Yeah, remember who your friends are. All right, my friends. It is uh, it is time now for a segment of the program that has inexplicably become one of the most popular uh, things on Smoking and Toasting, although I guess probably there wasn't a lot of competition for that. But, uh, but in any case, uh, it has become the most talked about and most uh, sought-after segment on the entire program. It is uh, something that we always try to emphasize is not... N- Sometimes it is, but not necessarily always stories about drinking. And much like a classic rock uh, band that has only one good hit, we bury this somewhere towards the end, but not at the very end, so you can't just skip to it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, it's like, it's like Golden Earring put Twilight Zone, the second yes. to last track on <laughs> second side Second or two. third to last. Exactly. Right? <laughs> uh, no, but, uh, but uh, Drinking News uh, is um, sometimes not always stories about drinking, but they are always stories that are best enjoyed when you've been drinking. Drinking news, drinking news. Now it's time for drinking news. Drinking news, drinking news. Now it's time for drinking news. A Florida man with one arm said he had a gator for a pet. When asked about his Ampson arm, he said, uh, I had to take my gator to the vet. Drinking news, drinking news. Now it's time for drinking news. Cheers, y'all. Well, I'm pretty sure we've shared a story like this with you before here on Drinking News, but just in case, here is a recap. One of the hottest viral videos on the web last year was taken at a liquor store in India where a thirsty little monkey entered a store in Madhya Pradesh in central India and helped himself to a bottle of his favorite booze. Uh, If you search monkey liquor store on YouTube, uh, you'll get quite a kick out of watching this little guy enjoying his own bit of day drinking. Uh, In the video, the macaque, which is not only fun to say, but is a species of monkey that inhabits uh, ranges throughout Asia, North Africa, and Gibraltar. This macaque is shown adeptly unscrewing the top of the bottle using his teeth and his hands, at which point the frustrated shop owner attempts to lure the freeloader away with a cookie. 
Uh, now, I don't know about you, but I, I absolutely love cookies. In fact, <laughs> it's Girl Scout cookie season here in the U.S., and I will admit I have more than indulged in the peanut butter patties, the thin mints, and those wonderful ones they call lemonades. But let's be clear. If I'm given the choice between one of those, or even a tasty Chips Ahoy or a double-stuffed Oreo, or a nice bottle of Reserva de la Familia tequila or a Balvenie double wood, I'm taking the hooch every time. Uh, so it's no surprise that the little Indian monkey was undeterred by the offer of a snack and instead kept right on swigging down the liquor. I'm sure Adam's got the uh, uh, photo up by now. Uh, even even using his foot to help balance the bottle, which I will admit is not a drinking skill that I have been able to develop. If my foot gets involved during the night of drinking, it's uh, probably not going to be pretty, although it might make for a good story here on Drinking News. What's particularly interesting, though, about this story is that it shines a light on what could be the reason, or at least one of the reasons, that we, as humans, drink. Now I'll admit, I've always had plenty of reasons to drink. I drank at the wedding where I married my ex-wife. I drank even more once we were married, if only to numb the pain. I drank when we got divorced in a celebration of happiness. And now I drink with Mary, who's my wife now, because, quite frankly, we, we just enjoy it. But... According to something called the Drunken Monkey Hypothesis, and this is a real thing, I'm not making this up, uh, the Drunken Monkey Hypothesis was posited by UC Berkeley biologist Robert Dudley. The theory is that monkeys may be somewhat responsible through biological evolution for why we like to drink. The theory suggests that monkeys discovered that the smell of alcohol could lead them to ripe, fermenting, and nutritious fruits. And a new study by a primatologist named Christina Campbell of California State University, Northridge, uh, has uh, taken that even further. They've collected and analyzed fruit that was eaten and then discarded by black-handed spider monkeys in Panama. So the study reveals a concentration of alcohol in the monkey's favorite fruit because it's fermented. And it suggests that monkeys were drawn to it because their bodies actually use it for energy. And it supports the drunken monkey hypothesis that our own proclivity to consume alcohol comes from a deep-rooted affinity for fr from fruit-eating primates and naturally occurring ethanol within the ripe fruit. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. Alcohol doesn't necessarily give me energy. Well, I'd encourage you to remember any time you'd ever seriously considered dancing on a bar. <laughs> or, or in my case, dancing anywhere at all. Or, or any time you've ever uttered this phrase to one of your buddies, hold my beer and watch this. The fact is that alcohol has calories. Calories supply energy. Uh, this goes a long way to explain the actions of somebody like Nicolas Cage and, and probably explains those leopard pants that he was wearing when they had to throw him out of that restaurant and bar in Vegas <laughs> that time. Uh, but the point is, the next time you're enjoying your favorite whiskey or a nice frosty glass of Ghost in the Machine, remember to thank your monkey ancestors or Curious George. Or that monkey named Bear from the unfortunately named late 70s TV show BJ and the Bear uh, for your inherited enjoyment of the sweet nectar. And if you don't believe in evolution, then thank God, whose son is rather famous for turning water into wine at weddings. Or, or thank Muhammad, who, according to the Quran, ascended to heaven on a winged horse. Can't tell me there wasn't some drinking going on there. <laughs> so whatever your belief system... We can all be happy that monkeys at least share our affinity for a good stiff drink. 
And by the way, if anybody knows where I can stream or buy a DVD set of Lancelot Link Secret Chimp, please let me know. I love to binge watch a good monkey series with a tasty glass of Guinness anytime I can. And that, my friends, is a recipe for happiness. Reporting live from the monkey habitat at the Houston Zoo in Herman Park, my name is Cruz, and that is your... Drinking news, drinking news. That's our time for drinking news. Cheers, y'all. To the drunken monkey. The drunken monkey. That drunken monkey would be a great, a great uh, name for a bar, wouldn't it? The drunken monkey. The drunken monkey. What was the one on uh, the uh, 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 Family Guy? The 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 drunken clam. Oh, the drunken clam. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That was good, too. That's a very New England-y uh, uh, drunken uh, thing, but yes. I, I, I will tell you, though, I love TV shows with monkeys in them. Have you ever seen, and I'm not kidding, <laughs> Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp? It's it's like a, a, a whole series where every actor is a monkey, and they dress him up in human clothes, and one of them is Lancelot Link, and he's like a, a, a spy. He's a monkey spy. You can't make that stuff up. <laughs> I, I'm, I was convinced, actually, for many years that monkeys were a part of a secret so, government program. I, I want this noticed. I brought this rum with me. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I just want it noted that I not only cleared the uh, cellophane off here so no yes. one cut their finger on it or anything, but mm -hmm. I also cleared... Um, the top layer of rum off of this bottle this so that we because could avoid spillage. Yes, this is very important. Right. Better safe we, than sorry. Something is, we believe in. This very, is not very the 80s. Safety yeah. has been invented. Yes, that's right. That's right. So, wouldn't it be great if we could get monkeys to do this show? <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait a minute. That'd be awesome. Have a have a monkey like join us in like a blind taste test. This That'd smells so awesome. good. Uh, now you obviously well, have had this alert. one before. I'm very excited about it. I may have had this before. Yes. Obviously not a ton of it because I didn't drink a ton out of the bottle. Yeah. Well, and and you there's uh, a little on the bottom by accident there. You you have talked about though the fact that um you were not necessarily a big rum guy uh, before we started doing this show. I was not. Uh, and you, you like know, I, so I, I'm gonna blame my dad on that. My dad really liked rum, and he really liked any rum. And if it came in, a, <laughs> when you say any rum, <laughs> when it came in a plastic bottle with a with a ship and a sail on it, it was just fine for him. Yeah, and uh, and he liked better rum too, but mm -hmm. he liked any rum, and <laughs> <laughs> and so so my early my early thoughts of rum are just. They're, they were not good rum. I am loving this on the nose already. I can tell you that. It's interesting. I've got, I've got like molasses and ripe fruit. Mmm. Mmm. So Macambo, it it's going to be awesome. This is uh, the art edition. I don't know if that uh, has to do with the uh, rum inside or just the bottle, which is really bottle. wild looking. My understanding, by the way, is that every bottle of Macambo rum. That has this sort of stringy stuff on the outside. That they're all uh, unique, that right? They're all I think, different I think, from each other. Yeah, because you can't make that uniform, right? And, and I'm pretty sure I see Spider-Man in the front of that. <laughs> so this is the single barrel Macambo Art Edition, 20 years. It says. Mm -hmm. uh, so that means that something uh, from them in here blended has is at least 20 years old. Ooh. This is bottle 192 out of 230, barrel number 432. And they're from, uh, Macambo is from Mexico, I understand. Yes, this is from Veracruz, Mexico. Uh, Ian, I love this. 
Each bottle is a unique form of artwork made by the Mexican artist Victor Fernandez Limon. Mm. This product has been carefully selected by professional connoisseurs. Uh, kind and extra fine. And it's deli- This is great. This is one of the best rums I've had in a while. It says, uh, The Corps Veracruz, with his innovative uh, tradition, has created this exclusive art edition rum in honor of the old Mexican pre-Columbian techniques. Mm-hmm. It's, it really is a, a striking bottle. Uh, that's been on my shelf for a little bit. Um, I haven't tasted it in a while, so I'm interested. You seem to like it. Love it. Absolutely love it. It's really tasty. It's got such a full, um, robust uh, age taste to it. It's a dark flavor, too. It's Mm -hmm. a dark, fruity flavor. Dark fruits, almost like a dark like Mm. brown sugar, Mm -hmm. molasses kind of a vibe to it. Doesn't finish sweet, though. But no, it does not. Not at all. Oh, my gosh. Yes. You think I, it's going to be? You think it's going to linger based on how right. full flavor, and then it's just gone. Yeah, right. It's, it's a I very think, dry finish. Uh, my brother-in-law Tyler gave us this. Mm. It came in actually a uh, wooden, mm-hmm. um, wooden, a wooden box. box with a yeah. little slide that comes off mm-hmm. the top. You know, I dig it. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. I maybe uh, I, I may have a bottle of this in my future. This is good. Yeah. This uh, it's it's such an interesting flavor too. Like it's not what you expect. And, uh, and let me see the bottle real quick. See what I'm talking about here? Spider Man, look, there's his head. There's his spider eyes. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's Spider Man. I'll never be able to unsee that. No, you I won't. Hate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is apparently uh, won some awards here. It looks like, uh, or, or or they've or they've made it look that way. It's Select Barrel Ultra Premium. Oh man, this is wonderful. Look how uh, it's amazing how oily this is too, mm-hmm. and the finish mm-hmm. is so dry on top of that. And they actually, as you said, what bottle number and what barrel number are uh, inscribed on the side? That is wonderful, Ian. Really wonderful stuff. I'm I'm very impressed. Your your brother-in-law got you this? Yeah, I think he got us. Uh, I think he got us that for Christmas or maybe it was my birthday. I can't remember mm. exactly. Mm, 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 mm. That's real good. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's such a fun character. He's always looking for different stuff, like yeah. whether it's for him to do stuff or whether it's uh, uh, like food wise mm-hmm. or whatever. Him and uh, him and my wife, his sister, love to just go out and try random different foods and things like that. They have such a good time doing it. But uh, he's he's interesting because he will just look for something just way out of. You know, way out of normal, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. try that. So, it's a lot well, of fun. Um, he he got you, he got you a good bottle here. That, <laughs> that's just I'm I'm so excited, so excited about it. I love it. I'm gonna have to get uh, have to get some of that for myself. Um, so I really um, have have enjoyed today's show, and I know we got our wrap up segment still to come. But but this has been a lot of fun doing going through these Guinness styles in uh, in the in the same sitting. In the same setting, uh, uh, really allowed me to kind of compare them. I've had, I think all, I've had all three of these before, but I've never had them next to each other. So it was really interesting doing a, a, a kind of a parallel tasting here mm-hmm. to be able to see what the difference is between them. And interestingly enough, like I said, I love the the foreign extra stout. The extra stout is great. I almost feel like the Guinness Draft is. My favorite, but I think it's a nostalgia thing, you know? Well, and you see those connections in your brain that get forged after, you know, doing, doing food has been on my mind lately a lot. Mm-hmm. So each of these, I have a, 
there's some dish that like I've had it. You have it the first time. You're like, this is really good. Like Szechuan Chinese mm-hmm. with extra stout. I mm-hmm. don't know why it works, but it does. <laughs> it just does. It does. And every and now you do it once. You're like, this is really good. And so you do it again. You keep doing it, and then you can't have one without the other. <laughs> and so for an extra stout, bittersweet chocolate Guinness draft with pizza. I don't know why red sauce, tomato sauce, like pizza, like a marinara. I with can see balls. that. It yeah. just totally. works totally. But I think that's what's fun about it is each of these is a little bit different. If I was in the mood for, you know, if I was smoking, honestly, if I was smoking my pipe, then I would probably go for, for an extra stout because I tend to, it tend to, any type of smoking tends to like really kind of neutralize my palate. Mm-hmm. And so if I want to have a beer that I can taste, I need something that's a little bit bigger, more robust, so I'd go for the foreign extra style. But each one's a little bit different of an occasion. Talk know? to me about some of these specialty beers that are coming out of your uh, out of your uh, brewery in Baltimore. Are these, are you making enough of these that we can find them in our local retail shops? And if so, what should we look for? Uh, we're not making a lot of them. Uh, the ones that I, I would just look for around November, December. If you see a four-pack in your specs, Total Wine, you know, Twin liquors. We had a bourbon barrel aged one last uh, last mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be one. It was one like twenty two dollars for a four pack or something like that. It was outlandishly expensive. It was fantastic. And I will tell you, we don't make a lot of money on that beer. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was well, fantastic. We've talked about uh, one of the beers we've had recently that we absolutely loved, which was Oddside's uh, Hazel's, Hazel's Nuts. Nuts. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it, was, it was so fantastic, and we can find it here locally. Yeah, 25 and or $26. It, it's $25, $26, and it's just 12-ounce cans. It's four of them. Yeah, uh, and it's worth every penny. But, but yeah. it's worth every penny. And so that's how you felt about about the uh, the Guinness yeah it was uh, it was from, it was one of the open gate ones and it was a uh, barrel aged mm. uh, uh, barrel aged Guinness it was fantastic I love a lot of the stuff the open gate brews do as a matter of fact uh, my wife saw that uh, there was a uh, uh, zero alcohol Guinness that's coming from Dublin not uh, not the oh, open is it? gate okay. but yeah so open gate like I'll do I'll have, have uh, semi regular calls with the brewers where they'll ship me out some stuff that they're if you're ever in Maryland or near Maryland. Going to the brewery is one of the coolest things you can do because there's always something new on the tap. I taste what they're putting out of there. They did like a cream ale with black tea and lactose recently that blew my mind. I was like, this is the best cream ale I've maybe ever had. So they're constant. They're really good brewers that we hired and found, and they're constantly putting out good stuff. The stuff that the two new innovations that you might have seen on the shelf recently actually didn't come from Maryland because they both use nitrogenation technology, and they like to keep that and close to the mothership. And that's the nitro coffee, which I should have brought here. Would I've had good that, yeah. taste. It's pretty good. And then the zero alcohol, I was not ex- not stoked about. Um, and I, long story short, I had a health scare, and I was like, I actually might have to not drink beer for a while. And that was really sad for me because my career in life has been built on beer for a long time. And so I started to think about what would I do if I couldn't, you know, w- like, what do you do when you have fajitas? What are you going to drink with that? Like water? You know, it's just <laughs> like, it's a, it People just doesn't do a, amazingly, but yes, it, I know. It's crazy. So Guinness Zero, I have a new respect for it. And not only that, if we were to do a tasting, I would honestly, like, I know I could tell the difference between a can and a, and a, and a, 
can of Guinness and a, a tap Guinness and a Guinness Zero. But I'd be more interested to do that blind tasting at New Potato because I'd love to see how other people do it. And I very interesting, yeah. So we did at the house because I bought a four pack of the um, the Guinness Zero. I think it was a four pack or it was a six pack. I can't remember. And I bought the uh, the draft stout. And uh, me and my wife did a blind taste test for each other. Nice. And, uh, Could you tell? Yeah. So I actually picked the right one. She actually picked the right one. But neither one of us was even remotely disappointed in the flavor of the Zero. Well, here's the thing. I and, was amazed by it. And, and brewers need to understand this. The uh, Zero Alcohol trend is not going away. Mm-mm. It's going to be around with us for a while. And if you can figure out... How to make your zero alcohol beer taste good? You're gonna do very well. Yeah, though. here's another funny one for calorie counters out there. Mm-hmm. Your Guinness Draft at 12 ounces, pardon me, is 125 calories. That yep. is amazing. It's 25 well. calories more than most of your I'm counting calories beer. Right, right. That's, that's, and that's because amazing. of that dryness. That's what. Yeah. That's where the calories come from. Is that's the alcohol amazing. and the sugar. The residual sugar. So well, it has been fun. We have been overdue for a Guinness themed show. Yeah, I was so and, excited uh, <laughs> to get this going. I loved being here. It was yeah. so much fun. Thank right, you guys for. We're having going me. to take a break. We'll come back with our uh, goodbye segment. But uh, want to uh, uh, want to just say to everybody who's been with us for all of this time, thank you so much, and we will uh, try to reward you with more stories about monkeys. <laughs> and, Monkey we'll be, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Smoking and Toasting, show number 278. It is always time for Guinness, and we definitely want to thank uh, David Schroeder from Guinness for being with us. By the way, by not showing up for our uh, actual on St. Patrick's Day show, you missed out on the Irish whiskey blind taste test, which was oh, a lot of fun. What was the favorite? Uh, do you remember what the... Man, I, we had... All I remember is that Slain did remarkably Slane well. Slain did well. And it was one of the least expensive uh, whiskeys. Um, and and what what was... It was... Uh, Tullamore Dew did well. Yeah, Tullamore yeah, Dew. Uh, well, the, the Tullamore Dew we had was a single malt. Yeah, that was but the it, single uh, malt one. It, it did very well. well yeah. And uh, I'll have to... Man, I'll have to go I think enough that Powers sure. I brought, we were, we were not we all We thought it was going to be a big deal, and it was uh, so. It was a little less, but uh, yeah. Um, it, but it, it was that was a fun show. There was a uh, red breast was the other red, one. I think oh yeah, did, yeah. Red yeah, breast, red breast well. and and green dot and green dot. Yeah, green Those dot. Are both really I nice. Think yeah. Green dot may have been the number one. Yeah, it was the red breast, breast twelve, and then the green dot. I think did did the best yeah, out of it. Yeah. Slain got and Slain was like third, like kind of right under that. But yeah. but at right a on. at a remarkably lower price than either That's of those yeah. two. So yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah, so fun stuff. But anyway, uh, you know, if you're ever uh, you see know, what if, you made us do by not showing right, up, right? <laughs> 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 and, and by the way, I want to I want to stress, he did not do. A yellow rose on us. He told us he couldn't be here on that day. <laughs> he didn't just tell us he was going to be there and then not show up. I think it was actually Twice. on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, it was yes, actually. It was. On, yeah, 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 I bet yeah. you're busy on that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth a try, right? Yeah, yeah no, I, I, we, we both talked about. It. We're like, I bet they're busy, but we're going to ask. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was here the week before. I couldn't. I couldn't be here the day of, but yeah. next year possibly. Yeah. Uh, well, well, we do appreciate you coming in today and and uh, and That's bringing awesome. all this all this 
goodness. Next week on Smoking and Toasting, we welcome back one of our bestest buddies. Our smoking and toasting wine expert Mark Burrell will be on the awesome. program, and he is always a lot of fun. I feel like and, we hadn't uh, seen him in a long time. Well, he was scheduled, and then he had to uh, right. Cancel he for had some to cancel because of some things going on at the restaurant. Uh, we were going to have him on right before Valentine's Day to do wines for Valentine's Day. So now I think we'll shift. And talk have you eaten at the wines. Rainbow Lodge? Oh no. my goodness! Oh my goodness! Yeah, uh, I want. I want uh, yes, go uh, to the Rainbow Lodge, yeah, uh, and it's it's just absolutely and, wonderful. And Mark Burrell's a sommelier there. And yeah, and he's just—he knows he's more fantastic. about wine than anybody I think I've I've ever uh, met. And I know some wine guys. So cool looking uh, place. But, yeah, yeah, it's, it, oh, it's great, great, man. If it's a Absolutely nice day great. like this, go sit on the back patio. Yeah, Ooh. it's it new? It's, it's like no, it's no, been it's around been for a long time. Yeah, okay, <laughs> and cool. and their back patio is not just like a little backyard. It, it's like you, it, yeah. it's like you've gone Amazing. completely into into nature back there. It's yeah, I mean, awesome. and it's it's a beautiful like romantic setting. If you go there by yourself, you will actually be romantic with yourself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then mark your calendars. Which is okay, just put us on in the background. This you is the total romance package. Going this on. is an awesome year because on Thursdays, the day that we do the show, not only was St. Patrick's Day on a Thursday this yeah. year, guess what else is on a Thursday? Fourth uh, of July. Thing, little thing called Cinco de Mayo. Oh, Cinco de Mayo! And Liliana Rodriguez, our resident tequila expert, will join us. We're once getting again her on Cinco de Mayo. On Cinco de Mayo. Yes. How much fun is that going to be? <laughs> so mark your calendars for that, my friends. Um, uh, we want to say uh, a big thank you to um, uh, to you, David, for coming in and and and. Teaching us about Guinness, you were going to answer. Uh, I thought one of our um, questions that we had. Oh on, yeah, on yeah. The chat, so, right? so Michael asked about Before the we snake go. bite and thoughts oh, yeah. on that. Yeah. So yeah. So the half and half is is it's kind of one of those things that you can do with Guinness because of not only the nitrogenation but also because of the dryness. So mm-hmm. when you think about oil and water and why they separate and don't like to mix, it's but because that's, of, But that's like a black Because there's a right? difference in viscosity. A difference right, yeah. in viscosity, exactly. I like to point that out because there are variations of layering half and half, and you can start to experiment, but when something doesn't layer, give that nice, you know, very different color on bottom, very dark color on top, then it's probably because their viscosity is too similar. Right, so they just blend. For instance, you could get a very sweet Prosecco, and Guinness will sit right on top of it, and then you could get a very dry Champagne, and you'd need to flip it. And they would separate the difference, because that, huh. that, that it's all about sugar level. So I say all that to say you can do it half and half with anything. Some things separate better than others. Usually when Guinness is a dry beer, so once something is very is a lot sweeter, it tends to separate more dramatically. So ciders tend to be sweeter uh, until you get something like Austin East ciders, which tends to be a drier very water. Dry. Magners. Mm-hmm. Um, so a snake bite. Now I should caution you: if you go to Ireland and order any half and half. Or, God help you if you order a, what they call an Irish car bomb, th- they will not be happy with you. It, I wouldn't recommend going there. They won't do. They won't do half and half. It's just, it's just not a thing there. If you go to England and order a snake bite, that will be a lager and a cider mixed together. Hmm. So there's all these regional variations. A snake bite in the United States tends to be Guinness on top of a cider. A sweeter one like a Crispin or an Angry Orchard usually. Uh, separates a little bit better. Uh, black and tan, again, don't order in Ireland because there's some history there, but uh, a black and tan like with a Smittix or a harp on bottom and Guinness on top. 
Um, what you're doing in all of these is kind of a difference, you know, especially with my favorite is a black velvet. I think that's my favorite mixture with that's bubbly wine and Guinness because you get that kind of contrast. Kind of sultry tune. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it, <laughs> it's kind of a contrast to Guinness's velvety silkiness, that bubbles that kind of cuts through. But there's all different combinations you can do. And there, and it's just one of the diff, weird kind of, you know, um, outposts of, 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 of Guinness possibilities because of this weird kind of beer that we make and like. Now let's back up to the Irish car bomb. That's a crap drink. Like, whoever invented that, that's a terrible drink. All right, but, but I, I, can't, I can't dog the black and tan, though. I like no, the black I can't talk the black and tan, but the Irish car bomb is a crap drink. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I drink don't, whiskey, I don't. drink beer. Yeah. So whiskey or, inside beer, you're yeah. kind of ruining both. Drink whiskey and then chase it with the beer. You so know? earlier you guys were talking about how you know people say, oh, I, I haven't. When was the last time you had a Guinness is my number one question when people say I can't drink Guinness, like you guys said. And a lot of times it's people, I'll say, was it on your... 20th birthday around St. <laughs> Patrick's Day, and was it in the presence of Bailey's and and yeah, and yeah. Jameson? Clark. And that's not that's not Guinness. You know, that's not the same. That's not what it does. That's not what it's about. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's it is a, an interesting situation because we don't tell people to do it, especially if you go to Ireland. A lot of Americans are embarrassed annually because an Irish bartender will happily call you out for. For using that name, um, yeah. So we don't endorse it or tell anybody to use it. Um, on the other hand, I have to admit it's a name that people tend to. It's it's been around for decades. I don't think it's yeah. going anywhere. And you know, there's a lot of, of 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 there's a lot of them that get sold in the United States every single year. So I don't think they're going away anytime soon. But yeah, we tell them there's a better name for them, a drop shot or something like that. It's not quite as sticky as the name that, that most people know, but mm -hmm. uh, a little bit more respectful of, of Irish history. So, uh, final, yeah. final question. Um, Ian's shirt, uh, his Guinness shirt with the uh, toucans flying, is a variation on an old, old uh, Guinness uh, advertising uh, thing, which was the toucan bird with the pint of Guinness on the beak. Is there any significance to that, or was it just a cool picture somebody drew? Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's the significance right there. Right. So I mean, it's it's classic 1950s advertising. John Gilroy was the artist illustrator that came up with it. The copy at the time was Guinness is good for you, which we don't say anymore uh, because <laughs> we can't make any health claims. Yeah. But uh, the, it that it was actually a whole zoo kind of series and mm. there's one with ostriches and we put them even on our cans sometimes i've seen the one with the ostrich with the pint, the pint of the neck yeah. Yeah. people love them i mean there was a, i was there was a friends episode there was a fr part part of the time of friends in the apartment they had a gilroy guinness advertisement and i'm like whatever set decorator is responsible that has got to be responsible for a certain amount of cases again is sold because oh, yeah, it's just think. embedded in people's <laughs> yeah. subconscious and people recognize that art. The the toucans is definitely the one that took off the most. Uh, I thought and, maybe it was something to do with toucans and two beers, but no, it uh, is. They, they and they embraced that, but it was actually just the zoo. They had all these different. The they had hippo, ostrich, toucans, and the toucan for some reason took off. Love it. And uh, now we, we have it on shirts, and 
and and people love to see it so well thank you so much for coming in and being a part of the show today and we want to extend an invitation to you to come back anytime you like and uh, also we'll be you'll be getting an invitation to our 200th slash 300th episode uh, so maybe you can come back for that and, and the pipe and, show and the pipe, and show. the pipe show yes in yes. fact in fact we'll reach out to you once we get the pipe show scheduled we will reach out to you for that and uh, and invite you to come down for that because that'll be a lot of fun uh thanks to uh, adam on the wheels of steel who is going to be with us for a few more weeks and uh thanks to mary for putting all the booking together thanks to you for being a part of smoking and toasting every week we'll see you back here next week uh, for a wine centric episode with our uh, our favorite wine uh specialist and expert Mr. Mark Morell. Have a great week my friends and uh, cheers y'all. Cheers y'all. Cheers. Cheers.